and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Daniel. Hey, everybody. So, Aubrey quit smoking for a year. Yay! That is Yay! amazing. Quit smoking for a whole year. We're really proud of you. Sincerely proud of you. That's great. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and then also thank you to everybody on the uh, the social media sites who have been also saying thank you. So, yeah, it's thank good you. to have I appreciate it. It means a lot. friends, yeah. Yeah, that was really great. And if you do follow us on social media, I posted that today. And I think like you mentioned it a couple months back, you were like, hey, it's been six months or something like that. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. But by the time you hear it, it won't be today. It'll be after today. Yes. It was was a while ago. But congratulations. We're proud of you. And we appreciate the fact that you're doing that. Yeah. That's great. That's great, man. Oh man, I, you know, and you know, I've been wanting to do it forever. And I'm just glad I kicked that monkey off my back. There you yeah. Go. yeah. Yeah. Good job there. And you guys know, I, I've told you a billion times, it, it hasn't been easy, but, you know, stick with it. And if you're out there and you're quitting smoking, you know, stick with it. You know, it, it's worth it. I also want to thank our guest hosts, Matt Strackbine and Mark Tweedo, for being on the last couple of episodes. It's been so fun to go back and forth Super and talk fun. to them and all that stuff. It's been so awesome. So we'll have them back on the episode soon. I haven't said this in a while. I want to make sure that you're following all the guys, right? You're following Mike Mignola on social media, all the oh, artists that we man. talk about. You know, it's really important to be supporting them, buying their sketchbooks, buying their prints, and all that kind of stuff. There is so much going on right now with artists selling stuff and putting out their own content because, like, the whole comic industry has been at a, at a pause. So, yeah, it's important to go support everybody. Oh, yeah. No, man. Mignola uh, just put out a Marceline the Vampire Queen sketch. Oh yeah, it's incredible. That was, was that was a great one. Oh, and then it's so good. Just when I saw ben, when I saw Bender, I I almost I was like, holy <laughs> shit! Bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> that Marceline sketch is so fucking good. Yeah, and uh, just before we started the podcast, he had done the Monsters Inc. guys. Oh, did mm-hmm. he? Uh, Mike Wazowski and Sully, right? Sully. I also want to mention Skeleton Crew. You know, they make those awesome replicas. A lot of the replicas are out of stock, and then occasionally they'll put them back in stock. And I saw this week that the Bog Rouge Nail is back in stock. So I thought that was really Ooh. exciting. Give a shout out to Skeleton Crew. They're awesome. He's not saying Skeleton Crew. It's, it's Skeleton Crew. Yeah, Skeleton so Crew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they make these awesome replicas that are officially licensed merchandise. Uh, designed with Mike Mignola on his designs, and it's just really awesome, you know. Just in case people wanted to give it a googs. Yeah, for real, check them out. Yeah, but if you're a new listener, we're an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics. We just recently finished Hellboy in Hell, Abe Sapien, BPRD Hell on Earth, and we've had some amazing discussions and a lot of awesome listener feedback, and we interact with our listeners every single week. Danielle's going to tell you all about it. I'm going to throw that to Aubrey. Aubrey, you tell them all about it. <laughs> oh, wow. This is a oh, first. Okay. Oh, my so, God. Uh, so here, here's what happens. So uh, John texts me what we're going to read, and then we read that. And then we tell you, and then Danielle tells you about it, and then I tell you about it again. And then you go and read it, and then you come back to us, and you tell us what you, that you thought about it. And then we talk about what you said, and then friendship. That's friendship. Yeah. Back to you, Danielle. All right. Oh, wow. So you give us, hey, damn guys, that's an email. Or you get on the social medias. You know what those are. And you tell us all about it. And then we're going to read some more. And then it's like Aubrey said, it's friendship. Awesome. So back to you, John. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. Thank you guys uh. so much. <laughs> <laughs> 
And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. guys from William Thunholm. Listener feedback, listener feedback time. <laughs> Is that the new song for it? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I had, so. I've had a few, so. Um. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> William said, I love the ending of Hellboy in Hell. Every time I read those pages, it's like everything goes quiet around me and I can hear the lines whispered in my ear. Truly amazing stuff. Thank you guys for pointing out the sunrise at the end. I never really noticed it, but now that I do, it feels really important. I can't help but see some similarities between this ending and the Doctor Who regeneration scenes. Mm. That's when the Doctor sort of dies and turns into the next version, or in other words, when the actor changes. There has been a big battle. The main character is dying. There's a glowing golden energy and flashbacks to important moments from early in the series. It's all very dramatic, and I always end up very emotional. And then so he linked this clip of when Matt Smith's Doctor Who turns into Peter Capaldi. I have to oh, say, like, man. John and I have never seen any Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm not, that's, I, that's so a whole know. thing so that Aubrey I've missed knows, out on. But Aubrey knows what this is, right? Oh, man. So, yeah, no, I have been watching Doctor Who since I was a child. Oh, wow. wow. It's been going on for a super long time then. Yeah, okay, so I, I, I've been watching Doctor Who since at least I was four or five years old. Man, There's people love... listening to this that are just yelling. Right. They're just <laughs> you yelling. You don't know about Doctor Who? But I, I, oh, watched, that, uh, I watched that scene, it was like four minutes. And it was oh, pretty dude. emotional, and I don't know anything about it. Oh, okay. But just watching that, I was like, wow, this looks... It was good, you okay. know? It was good well, acting. See, that, that whole episode came after, like, it was the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Oh, so they had okay. to get big. And, and I love Matt Smith. He's my favorite, and I actually haven't been... The listeners are going to yell about this one, but I haven't <laughs> gone past Matt Smith yet. And the great thing about Doctor Who, though, is, like, with each new Doctor... You, that's that's your jumping on point if you're ever interested. You don't have to go back and watch it. Even. I mean, oh wow, okay, it's fun, but I mean, it, it it's kind like of a, restarts so that every doctor time. Doctor is yeah. your doctor. You get to have your own like yeah, generation yeah. of doctor. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, William also said Matt Smith's doctor also talks about making the most of his life and then being prepared to move on, which reminded me of when you guys discussed the magician and the snake at the end of the episode. Last but not least, I just want to thank you guys for what you do. It's been a rough few weeks with both the corona crisis and personal stuff. And listening to you guys Mm -hmm. and interacting with the book club means a lot. Friendship, William Thunholm. So great to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you, William Thunholm and uh, book club member. member. Yeah. That's right. T at T-Photo10 on Twitter said, Hi, you damn guys. Just dropping you a line to tell you I love the podcast. It's been a bit since I listened, and with the quarantine, I've been rereading all things Hellboy. I figured it was time to tune back in. Yeah, thank you so much. Let us know what episode you're on. Tune on in. I guess he won't hear this, though. I guess. Let us know whenever you hear from... Whenever you hear this listener feedback, contact me. All I can think about, again, is that Mr. Show sketch, just every time. We had some feedback on... Hellboy and Hell, the Spanish Bride. Oh, okay. Ross Radke said... Ross Radke. Book club member. The Spanish Bride might be one of my favorite issues of Hellboy and Hell. To be honest, I was a bit confused at first because I hadn't read all the Hellboy and Mexico stories yet. But after I got caught up, it became one of my favorite character moments in the entire series. 
The Spanish Bride is first introduced as nothing more than a monster gag for an inconsequential side quest. Yeah, it kind of was like a Monster of the Week thing, and then now it's like became yeah. one of the most penultimate. The uh, penultimate. Yeah, yeah, like really super important in-game kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But when she is reintroduced in hell in typical Mignola fashion, we learn this monster too had hopes and dreams for the future. Unlike Alegos and the Vampire of Prague, we learn that not all who wander hell are wretched, cruel, and vengeful creatures. It's almost charming to discover this random demonac had some sort of affection for her shotgun wedding husband. Why else help him? Besides all that, her subtle transformations is just a really cool visual. I'm still crossing my fingers we get an Ed Gray in Hell series giving us a glimpse of what all these demons were up to before Hellboy showed up. I like that because there was a lot there, but I kind of latched onto when he was saying like, oh, her her gradual transformation. When Mike Mignola was talking about it, he was like, oh, I just got bored drawing that. So I wanted to draw something more interesting. Right. <laughs> and, you know, like for him, he's such a humble, you know, person. He's just like, oh, I just wanted to draw. Whatever the original impetus was, his right. instincts were correct. Like it's, it is more interesting like on the surface, like for him to to be drawing, but it's also more interesting for the reader, yes. and it actually fits better in the story. Like there's there's a reason beyond that, even if he won't admit it. Like maybe he doesn't want to sound like he's being sure, like, okay, you know, pompous or something. But it it's such a cool narrative. Like it's really it really works. We've and talked about it so much, yeah. And he's just like, I got tired of drawing. I this. just got tired of drawing that, and I want to draw something cool. And I get that. <laughs> And but the instincts are correct. Like it's yeah. it is more interesting, and it is you can interpret that any way you want, and it still works. Yeah. And that's what art is. Yeah. And so it's for that. It's for that purpose. Like it's for you to interact with it. Otherwise, what the fuck would the point be? So it's it elevates it to this real artistic place and well, i really appreciate that yeah i, I guess like a, it makes me think of another thing that he's said a lot which is a lot of times he said these things take on a life of their own yeah you know he kind of like gives it up to that which is that's where you get yeah. these amazing things but yeah. that's cool, where the art comes from what a I cool guess. decision and what a cool execution and it could it resonates with different people for different reasons like for me it's like oh it kind of shows us this is we're still in this real psychedelic world. Things are getting weirder and weirder by the right. second. It's getting like it's approaching this. It's it's ramping up harder and harder. And so that's and it also shows the potential for how she could possibly be a snake. Yeah. And it's maybe Hellboy's perception is a little weird and psychedelic and she's going in and out of these different he's like she's phasing in and out of this reality and it's kind of like she never did really look like a person. She was always this weird monster or something. But it's Mike Manila's like, I didn't want to draw that anymore. Right. Adjust something else. <laughs> Adjust something else now. <laughs> and so but it lends itself so well to the story and it's so rare that you come across that like someone following their instincts for whatever reason and it's it works out so well. Okay, so the thing also that he said about Ed Gray, like, we could go back and make a whole thing about that, like, before Hellboy showed up. That would also be interesting. That would be amazing. Yeah, the Ed I Gray I want to see that today. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just I make see that, that happen, Dark Horse. That <laughs> sounds good. Let's do it. We had some feedback on Hellboy and Hell for Whom the Bell Tolls. Hey, you damn guys. That's good. <laughs> for Whom the Bell Tolls. For Whom the Bell Tolls. <laughs> Yeah. Time marches on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yanniklas said. Yanniklas. Book club member. That's right. Yay, I finally got to hear 
finally talking about the final issue of Hellboy in Hell. Hooray! <laughs> Can't add much to it besides how much I love Mignola rewriting his series and making it look good with just two issues. That takes true talent. And I love how even a standalone story like the Death Card feels like just part of the bigger puzzle. Genius. I love it. Yeah, true. I love issue 10, and I'm surprised that people didn't get what happened. At least the people that read the series from day one, newcomers I can understand. I mean, wasn't it obvious? Hellboy finally gives in and accepts the part that also was always a part of him, his role as the Destroyer. But now he's in control and doesn't get coerced by others to do it. He's destroying hell and he sets all the souls of the damned free, destroys the corrupt order, and gets a rest. He looks for a house and enjoys his time alone, as every dead person should get after a while. Because this series was about endings and finding rest. I like that because... The death card and the tower card and all that shit. They oh, get a bad yeah, rap. Yeah. They get a bad rap, but you know what? It's not like that. Oh, yeah. Because it's Think not just an it. ending. It's also a beginning. Yeah. There's some heavy shit. There's yeah, some deep shit. Great. But yeah. like, you know, and I, I can't help but bring it up. But I, I do, I definitely vibe with that for sure. He also had some feedback, but it was kind of spoilery. I didn't really want to get into all of the comments that he had. But he also mentioned Pluto we get a detailed description of Pluto, mm-hmm. who he is, and we glimpse how he looked. He seems to be the source of the Black Flame's power, if I interpret correctly. And so he's like, we never, that, like, we just get a glimpse of that, and then that hasn't been followed up on. Yeah, interesting. He had some more comments that were really good, and I would love to get into them, but they're very spoilery, so I'm not going to go into it now. But he also said, hear you next time. Take care of you all and get well soon, John. Yeah, thank you so much, Jan Niklas. We haven't yes. heard from you in a while, Jan man. Niklas. Good to hear from you. We love you, man. Oh, man. Great to hear from you. And we also heard from Ryan Yule this week. Ryan Yule. Book club member. Yeah, got all the classics this week. Yeah, so he was sharing some of his art collection. Okay. And again, um, if you check out our Facebook About section or you go to our Podbean webpage, you can see all the links that we have on there to all these resources. And one of them is... Ryan Yule's amazing original art collection. He shared the pages that he has from issue 10. It's He has that page where Hellboy's walking up and all the flames. Yeah, man. He has so stuff. many key pages. He had that page yeah. where there's like the big explosion and then Hellboy's all in the black with the wings and he looks up at Beelzebub's tower. And then he also has the one where all the demons come flying out behind Hellboy. Yeah, so those are stunning pages. Oh my god! Yeah, um, those are true pieces of like history, like Seriously. art history, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, to have something like that is just um, yeah. Hold on to those. Yeah, those things gonna be safe forever too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to go yeah. check out his collection. He's gonna have people wanting to borrow those for exhibitions. I, I, I'm not kidding. Oh yeah, eventually. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he well, should open up his own museum. I'm telling you, he hey. could. He could. <laughs> Oh, Ooh. I would, I would. I know, travel for I that. would go there. Yeah, I would travel for that. I would go to there. We've got a no. lot of uh, classic book club members writing in from that episode. Yeah, yeah, we're hearing from everybody. It's great, and we heard from Ryan Bolton also, oh, okay. who we haven't heard for from in a while. All right. He said, right. "Yes, I am down for the shapes tattoos." Yeah. Okay. Right. Nice. <laughs> I was already planning it out while I listened to the podcast. So he, so think about this. He's thinking about getting the tattoo of it, and then we all talk about that oh, we should get one. Isn't that amazing? That's synchronicity. There you That's go. That's what that is. Should put just a little book club member right underneath it. 
Nathaniel Green, he also chimed in. He said, I don't recall this coming up. There will forever be a lot to talk about regarding these issues, but the Spanish Bride's line of who thought the old man would have so much blood in him is a callback to Hellboy in Hell issue two. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I did mention that, but when oh. she, she says that, and then okay. so when we see that Satan has been stabbed and then we see the clang, we get that little quote. Right. And then she says it she in that it. issue. So I don't know if we mentioned that, but yes, that is a great callback. Maybe I missed out on that. So hey, yeah, thank nice. you, Nathaniel, for bringing that up. For sure. And we also talked about Matt's angel of death theory when we see that old, the old grandmother at the end when she turns into that statue with wings. Jerry Turnbull said, I totally agree. That's how I read it, too. And Yannikla said, I always thought that this was the canon. Don't question it. I was just, oh, now it makes sense and was very satisfied. We seem to have a consensus on that. There you go. There you go. And Jason Abaddon said... Jason Abaddon. Abaddon. Book club member. (laughs) It's a little odd that we never got a story where Hellboy meets his mom or his human sister and brother in hell. Or do we see them in another form? Yeah, so he, you know, he had his mom, and she went down to hell. Well, maybe they turned into birds or something. Yeah, maybe. Into soul and birds, then like birds his, of the well, light birds. His his brother and his sister were a priest and a nun, yeah. so maybe they didn't go to hell, or I don't know. I, don't I assume know. that they didn't go to hell. There's also like, um, you remember there was that soul forge thing where that guy would pick out souls and hammer them into stuff in and yeah. all that. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, no, no offense to Hellboy's brother, sister, and mom, but maybe they just—they might be like soulfish. Yeah, yeah. Or they might be I mean, soul it, birds. You don't know, like we don't know what happened. We didn't get to see that. I guess, like you know, it wasn't yeah. really as crucial to you know Mike Mignola to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. but but I, I do think it's an interesting point because we saw like brothers we didn't know about and his sister that we hadn't seen till since the midnight circus but that was all interesting and to his me. uncle and all this kind of stuff so yeah that's a good point interesting but there would be those people because they're all coming after him that's like the most immediate most pressing yeah i guess you're right to deal with. Yeah. Like, he didn't really have any unfinished business with you know his mom that's a good point you know yeah maybe saying? that's why yeah i don't know Clayton Schofield, he said, I know I've posted this before, but I wanted to share again. This is my favorite standard cover of the Hellboy and Hell covers. The Year in Monsters variant of the first issue is also a standout. I don't tire of looking at this almost every day. And he, so he posted this picture of this print. I had never actually seen this print. It's like one of these prints oh, okay. that you buy from MikeManuelsArt.com. Um, they're limited edition prints. They're really awesome. I was mentioning earlier to support all the guys. You know, these prints are amazing. And they all come with this great certificate of authenticity that has the Mike Mignola art on it. Like, it's like its own little it's piece like, of art. It's yeah. a, like a Jaclay print, right? Yeah, they're really nice. Um, I have a couple of them. And Clayton has one. So it has the Hellboy in Hell issue 10 cover. But on the top bar where it says Hellboy in Hell, that's replaced by a bar that has the shapes. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's really cool. And I didn't even know that that was a print. Like, I guess it sold out so quickly because for the longest time, I thought, like, I saw Dave Stewart post one of it and I was like, oh, when is that coming out? And it was like, oh, that came out already and it's sold out. You didn't even know about it. Wow. (laughs) So, anyway, that's amazing print. Thank you for sharing that with us, Clayton. 
And I want to thank Matt Strackbine for sharing his coloring job of that Hellboy in Hell unused cover. And Jerry Turnbull also colorized it as well. And so if you follow us on our Facebook page, you can see that one. So when Jerry originally colored it, he posted it and Mignola had commented on it. And Uh so Jerry had like a screen grab of that. (laughs) And Mignola had said... Now you can really see why I didn't use this one. Color makes it more noticeable that that one guy has no legs. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's but that's all he can see is like right, yeah. The flaws. I think it still looks awesome. But that's what I'm saying is that if an artist is worth anything, all they're gonna notice right is the perceived flaws that they think are there and then like everybody else is just like, wow, this is great. Yeah, we yeah. love this. This is awesome. Great job. DJ Alpha T, uh, when I posted those comparisons of the artwork, that's always um, a really hard thing to do to actually go and find the actual images. But it's like sometimes you look at something that they've done and you just go, I know that that's a reference to something. And I know there's probably tons that we've missed as well. But he said, I love seeing these comparisons. Thanks, book club members. Hashtag back to you, John. (laughs) Nice. We had some feedback on the Oops, I Hurt My Back episode. Oh. Anung117 said, Hope you're not down too long, John. Thanks for hooking us nerds up with an episode and fighting through the pain. Oh. I've been there and it sucks. Get well soon. And this this didn't actually make the episode because we were talking about it with Mark before we started the actual episode, but I recorded that episode on my back. Yeah. Danielle moved yeah. some of the furniture out of the way and he set up a, on the floor. I set, set up, up like a, what? yeah, I, I put a bunch of like <laughs> blankets and yoga mats and whatever, you know, I could kind of find and make it like soft because we have hardwood <laughs> floors. So he's laying on like a pile of, of blankets and he's, he's literally laying on his back face up. We put the microphone where i could reach it and i was reading my notes off my phone and um yeah so thank you so much i thought and so if i sounded weird on that episode it's because i was laying on my back and i was all hopped up on goofballs but anyway i thought it was a fun discussion i loved just shooting the shit with mark he's such a great guy so that was such a fun episode yeah i actually got to go back and listen to that one this weekend Man, that was a lot of fun. But yeah. so, so how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. I'm doing a lot better. Yeah, I'm actually sitting up on this week, and I'm about ninety percent there. You know, but Good. still, just slowly trying to gradually increase. You know, some stretching and don't some worry. Moving I'm around. making him. I'm making him do some stretches. It's, yeah, we got this. I'm not taking any of the pain medication anymore Yay. or any of that. So it's all good. Thank you. And Clayton Schofield also said that he hoped I felt better. I hope the rest of the book club gang is doing well. Cheers. Cheers to you. We are doing well up here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think like all things considered, you know, so far, you know, knockwood or whatever, but we haven't contracted this horrifying illness. So our hearts go out to anyone whose family members have been affected by this or whatever, you know, that's got to be really hard. And so I... Anytime I start to feel sorry for myself or whatever about whatever's happening with our situation, I just think, oh, it could be so much worse. You could be dying in a hospital right. somewhere or your loved ones could be dying or something. So I, I try not to. I don't I don't ever get very far feeling sorry for myself because it could be so much right. worse. It could be so much worse. And, you know, Texas has gained a lot of attention right now. 
because they're like opening up already. We're about and stuff to go like back that. to work for some reason. Yeah, so. we're we're some of us are having to go back to work soon, and uh, so that's really scary. But like, yeah. we're being careful. We're not those people that are just out there no, doing whatever yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. We're like, we are. I'm not planning on going anywhere, even though they're opening. Let's be everything clear. Up. Let's yeah. be clear. We fucking are we believe that this is real and yes. we're really trying, <laughs> we're trying so to follow the science to not only protect ourselves but protect protect everybody else around us like we don't want anyone else to get this tom barnett said <laughs> tom barnett i haven't finished the episode yet so you might address it there but which editions do you guys favor i have floppies and trade paperback and um yeah i think that uh, you know any format that is I, I like the physical format you know whether it's the comics whether it's the trades but my preferred is like obviously the library editions like those big ass you art know or the pages yeah the omnibus versions you know because even the trade paperback ones are a nice size i do like having something in my hand though as and big as it gets i got them uh, as a gift, like the bit, like this. Oh, big the artist edition, yeah, so humongous. Yeah, you got me the amazing screw on head. I artist wish every edition. single thing yeah. came in that size. <laughs> I think we're all still waiting for the Hellboy in Hell five through ten artist edition. I would love that one a gigantic, to come out. Yeah. yeah. I guess for me, like if it's something I want to keep, I definitely want it in like a like the artist edition, library edition, yeah. kind of version, or like you know if it's. DC, whatever they call it, the Absolute Edition, you know, whatever, you know, I want the, I like the nice pristine format. Uh, but you know, if I'm not caring about it, I'll just read it on digital. Yeah, know? that's <laughs> a good point, Aubrey, because there's there's actually like um, Marvels. I don't care about it. Yeah, it's... Marvels just came out with an annotated edition, and I really want to read it, but I don't want to buy the hardcover whatever version of it. I just want to get the digital probably because I already own it like three different ways. Well, yeah. you have that gigantic Marvels one. I got the monster-sized <laughs> I got the monster-sized Marvels. God, I love it so much. It's amazing. Our gigantic book collection has been growing. And I got you that big that big ass David Lynch. Yeah. Works on paper. Oh man. That's a great one. I wish every yeah. art book we got came in that size. I wish I like, well, I have a bunch so of books good. that are too big for the bookshelf. I have even this artist edition from Into the Silent Sea. Yeah. Um, by Gary Gianni, it, I have to put it sideways in my shelf, so I need like a big shelf to put all my big books I would love or something. To like have, but doesn't it hurt it to line them up to stand those big? Yeah, books no, up? you shouldn't do that. You either line them on the side or like I. What here's what I would love to do. I would love to have like a custom made like a lectern <laughs> made for you, like they have in the museum. Where are we gonna put that though? Where would we Somewhere? put it? We don't have anywhere to put there's, something okay, like that. Okay, so at the museum here that we have in Houston, there's there's a there's a permanent uh, exhibition of a James Audubon uh, book of the birds. Yeah, and it's like a it's oh my god, it's like the biggest book I've ever seen. It's humongous, and every day they turn or every Thursday. Yeah, they turn one page. Yeah, and oh they wow, they, yeah, they turn it like once a week, and it's huge. It's so big, and they have a lectern, and it's you know in the appropriate V shape. It's not obviously not flat because that would destroy the binding. It would have right. a lot of book binding nerds on the case, but it's you know it's kind of like halfway open, and it's yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice there on the lectern. They make prints of those pages. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They do. I've gotten to frame quite a bit of those. Shout out to the Houston Museum of Natural Science. Yes. Shout out to James Audubon. There you go. <laughs> nice. I have to go check that out. Ryan Yule. He said it was a fun discussion today. Ryan Yule. Oh, rock star. <laughs> <laughs> 
book club mm. member. He said, I was at San Diego Comic-Con in 2016, and Mike told me who the guys watching Hellboy walk along the beach at the end of Hellboy and Hell 10 are supposed to be. What? I created this at the time, so I wouldn't forget. And so he put, he linked a picture where he had put like arrows pointing to which one is Mike, which one is Dave Stewart, and which oh, one is Scott Alley. Wow, yeah, that nice. was a pretty cool picture. And so there was a little, it was a little unclear though, because they showed three of them on the beach and one of them in a cage. <laughs> and so three of them were labeled and then people were like, okay, is the one that's Mignola supposed to be the one in the cage or is it one of the one on the beaches? And there was like a little good little discussion okay. about it. And um, somebody said, God, I wish I remember who said, um, maybe the reader is the one in the cage. Uh, and that's what Matt said. That That's what Matt said when I sent it to him. Matt was like, Whoa. yeah, that's us in the cage. You're you know? blowing my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. We're in a cage, Yeah, man. so I enjoyed that. Oh, that's good. Regarding our color theory discussion with Mark Tweedell from last week, Ryan Yule said only Mark could find the level of color detail. Nathaniel Green said, this really is the best fandom. I don't think about it as a fandom, but I guess it is, right? I think it's probably the least so. toxic. I hope so. I, you know, the, the, the only, only reason I tolerate doing the, any of this. The, the only toxic part of the fandom are people who only care about the movies. That's what I found out. <laughs> there are a subset of Hellboy fans that have not really read a lot of the comics, but they just know a lot about the movies, and they're super into the hey, movies. Hey, hey, and, and I think the movies are awesome. And guess who gets all the press? But, I mean, that, that's the only... The shitty negative... That's the only part that I've really seen yeah. of, of, this, of this kind of culture, fandom. Yeah. Wiss Mad-Eyes said, uh -huh. this was super interesting to learn about. Yeah, so thank you so much, Mark Tweedo. I would have never looked at that. I would have never even noticed that. It makes me want to go back yeah. and look at everything all over again. <laughs> it really kind of does. Jason Abdon said... Jason Abdon! <laughs> Club member! Mark mentioned the importance of platonic relationships in BPRD, and he's so right. In this series, I had the idea that they were laying foundation for a relationship between characters, particularly between Liz and Kate, then between Kate and Roger. But eventually, I saw that Kate was just this deeply loving and caring person that held everything together. Everyone lets her down, and she becomes tougher each time. What a great comment. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That is, that's straight through the heart, man. That's, that hurts. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Jeez. Yeah, no, I, I really love the fact that there's platonic relationships throughout the whole series. And and it shows the strength and the bonding that these people go through without having to be romantically involved. Right. And I, I love that they do that because... But I will admit, there were times I'm all like, oh, is this going to happen? Abe and uh, Liz going to get together? Or yeah, I'm I glad, it never, I'm, I'm I glad it never went that way. No, I don't trust people that think in such weird black and white binary traditional yeah. terms of like men well, think... not friends with ladies <laughs> or not have working relationship <laughs> with ladies or like any kind of relationship like mentor and student or co-workers be friends right? with people yeah. it doesn't matter that's the reality it's yeah. reality yeah and it's it's yeah. really cool like you said it's it's so refreshing and like Ah, oh, such a relief to read a story where you don't have to fucking worry about that sometimes. I don't know. When I did start thinking, like, if when characters are going to get together, I think it's just because I've been so conditioned by modern storytelling sure. and shit like that to always happen. 
you know. And sometimes yeah. characters do get together, and that's okay. But like, oh, it's yeah. so much yeah. more natural in a world yeah. where that's not always the case. Right. Like it, it feels more rewarding yeah. somehow when yeah. that does happen because you feel like that's a real relationship. It's not fucking foisted upon you. Like I try to think of like which ones have there actually been. Well, there was like kate and bruno yeah and then that tragically yeah. didn't work out right. or you know what i mean he couldn't handle you know but being like, with kate. That, like that's a stressful situation yeah and I mean, and, and it was you know, you know? And it, it was put, portrayed in a realistic way and then yeah. there was the whole hellboy alice thing but then she became queen mab and right. he be and he, he became this you know and i they, feel like that was more weird... of an archetypal right kind of yeah. thing okay. which still made sense that's to what me. i mean yeah, yeah that's what i mean like they had it was like a purposeful sure. or symbolic right thing you I know really that think happened that there that, that worked out okay in the end and another thing is like they're not beholden to we gotta get some ratings in here they're trying to tell a fucking story and that becomes apparent on that's every fucking so page yeah. yeah all the artists yeah. and all the writers are like look we just want to tell a good story and it's so apparent and that's what you get. Yeah, and, that's what you get. And I mean, honestly, I'd rather read all these character moments and funny little quirky moments than like this. <laughs> will they or won't they? Yeah, you know what uh, I mean. You wait, or like, like the will I, they won't I, they? I, thing I love can reading cool, Amazing Spider-Man, right, but yeah. there's always like, oh, I got to read this stuff about his romantic life too. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not like, always look, my favorite thing. Look, we get it. You know, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. But that's the thing when you've seen that rehashed so many times, and it's like, he's supposed to be with Mary Jane. And you're like, cool. <laughs> where's the fucking story then at that point if I know that that's what's supposed to happen? Like, where's the interesting part? Yeah. So, like, when these relationships are, are more organic yeah. and they're able to yeah. play out in an organic way, it's so much more rewarding. And so that's what you're going to get is you're going to get these natural relationships yeah great bit of feedback yeah ross radke said haven't listened to the entire episode yet not sure if you mentioned this but it just occurred to me that hellboy has the same color scheme as the watchers in his giant form yeah so when he turns into that big giant he's like first he kind of looks like when they're all just the flames with the arms but then he turns all black okay which is like what they looked like when they came remember yeah, yeah, the giants that came out and they had okay. the glowing eyes. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. He said, I don't fully describe to Mark Tweedo's theory about Hellboy being possessed, but this would certainly support that. You know, Mark said that he basically becomes a numb, you know, yeah. the spirit from the hand in that mm. moment. Um, I think this is going to get weird. I'm going to get weird. <laughs> I'm going to get weird. There's a place you go to when you're, the kids call it vibing. Okay. Okay. There's <laughs> okay. a place, there's a place you go to when you're just on that frequency, when you're really resonating with what the fuck you're doing. And I know that you've all experienced that. You're, you're a drummer. So I know you've experienced okay. that. Yeah. When you're just right in there. In the pocket. I have fucking <laughs> seen you in the pocket. Exactly. I've seen you right there. I've experienced this myself when I'm printing I've been printing for like 12 hours straight or something and I just get in the zone or whatever or when I'm painting or when I'm singing at a show and you just get right in there and it's like you're just not there. Right. You're just doing and being and it's like this straight flow of energy and it's just this it's I it's it's indescribable. You're rotting on the thermals. Yeah. You know? Okay. And so that's I really feel like he's like, "You know what?" Okay, I get it now. It's not something to be feared. It's something I have to confront, and I have to do this because it's not just destruction, it's creation. We already discussed that. 
So it just became something that wasn't necessarily something he had to fight. But like it, you're not fighting against it anymore. You just are doing it. You're being it. You just are it. You yeah. are. And so I wonder if that the reason that visually it reflected the watchers is because that they're supposed to be that aren't they they're supposed to be like they dared to reach yes. for the fire they dared to reach for the vril and in that moment that's what happened like that's that's when they were vibing that's the only yeah that's the only <laughs> way you can do it right so that's I love it that. has to do with the vril sure, it all sure. comes back it all comes down to the vril and we have discussed what that is so many different times, and it's so many things to so many people. But it's hate to get deep on you. Hate yeah, to, no. hate to do it. Had I love to do that. it. Had to do it to him. What it makes me think of is how much discussion we've had on what is happening on these pages, and they're mostly pages without dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's just images it's of so stuff good. happening, and it's everybody so is interpreting, and you're putting yourself in there yeah, too. Absolutely, you know, you're yeah. putting yourself and your own personality in there too. And everybody has a different way of looking at it. It's so interesting to get all this different input on what are mostly wordless images. Yeah, incredible. Lastly, Garrett Wenger said, off topic, but a couple weeks back, y'all were singing the praises of Daniel Warren Johnson. Mm. And I wanted to share this gem. It's a cinematic visualization of his mini-comic Green Leader using high-res scans of his original pencils. Yeah, and so Daniel Warren Johnson, he does a lot of these um, Star Wars kind of stories that he makes up himself and then he draws them but they're only available like they're very exclusive like you have to like buy stuff from him like he has one that's like old man skywalker but you can only get it you can only get it like if you buy stuff from him or it's like it's it's his own little thing anyway it's as if like luke was like he's the wolverine exactly that's what it looks like i don't have it I, i would love to read it i watched it this morning it was it they put it to the uh to the john williams music and it's the cinematics. It's really good. It's really good. All right. So thank you so much for all the listener feedback. Now we're going to go into our book club episode for the week. And this week we're talking about Hellboy Weird Tales. <laughs> we're going to get all weird. This series ran for eight issues from February 2003 to April 2004. Each issue features multiple stories from different creative teams. And I thought this was interesting. So the order that the that the comics came out in and each story that's in those issues is not the order that's in the hardcover, which is what we're reading. We're reading the collected edition. I thought it was interesting that they kind of switched it up. So there's Scott Alley as editor coming in to kind of create this new kind of reading order within the Weird Tell stories, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I noticed you gave me the softback two trades. Um, I was looking at it and I noticed that the order was different. Oh, world. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because like some of the ones that we were reading today are in the second trade, and then some of them were in the first trade. It's probably the order the comics came out. So we're reading the collected edition. It has an awesome Mignola cover. It's got like in the background, it's got all the names of everyone that contributed, which is really cool. So none of this is canon, basically, though. Well, uh, we're going to talk about okay. that. Okay. Um, I do want to talk about this image that's uh, in the collected edition right before we get into the title page. This is the issue one cover by John Cassidy. And I love this cover. It's got the whole team on there. This is like classic, like if Marvel was doing... Yeah, I was going to say, like John Cassidy, yeah. that he did my favorite, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite X-Men runs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. 
Yeah, and so I love this John Cassidy cover. That was the cover to issue one. Sorry, I would love to see it like a comic, just all this. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'd love to see a quietly Hellboy. Oh, that would be great. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk quickly about John Cassidy, though. He's an American comic book artist, writer, and television director, best known for his work on Planetary, Astonishing X-Men, Captain America, and Star Wars. He has received multiple Eagle and Eisner awards and nominations for his work, and we're going to see more from him later. And I wanted to talk about this forward by Scott Alley. So if you're looking at the collected edition, it's got a great forward. Scott Alley says, here's a comic that only exists because of a movie. (laughs) I don't mean that Hellboy himself only exists for the sake of a movie. When Mike came up with the title Hellboy for his red-skinned demon character, he never thought it'd find life in another medium. When Hellboy debuted in 1994, very few comics were conceived with the purpose of being made into a movie or television show or video game. But this book, Weird Tales, did come about because of a movie. When Mignola met Guillermo del Toro in 1996, it set the wheels moving forward towards a Hellboy film. Although for a long time, Mignola said he wouldn't count on a film until he was sitting in the director's chair with his name on the back looking at a guy in red makeup. (laughs) By 2002, Del Toro and Dark Horse head Mike Richardson had lined up a studio and a budget, and it was time to begin work. Mignola found himself in the rare and enviable position of working with Del Toro on the film, with input and access to the production that was unprecedented for a comic creator at the time. As things got started on the film, Mike had completed the two-part Hellboy The Third Wish. He had to stop to work on the sequel The Island, which is another story altogether. And we talked about that too, how he like redrew it and scrapped like yeah. half of it and all this kind yeah. of stuff. With The Island in the bucket, Mike and I realized we'd have no new books coming out when the movie would be generating the most attention the character had ever seen. We knew that the best ad for a comic is a feature film, but we have nothing fresh on the shelves, with Mike's work on the film tying him up for the next year. The idea of someone else doing Hellboy was still pretty new to us. I was always less comfortable with it than Mike was. There'd been an Abe Sapien one-shot by another creative team, and I think that's um, Drums of the Dead. And the BPRD series Hollow Earth, drawn by Ryan Sook, which wrapped up in June 2002, but no one had drawn a Hellboy comic, and certainly no one had written one. We came up with an idea of an anthology where we would play Fast and Loose, featuring some of our friends who'd offered to do backups over the years. They could do whatever they wanted, bringing their own styles to the characters. Since then, Mignola's designs have proven to hold up under radically different interpretations, from Eric So to Art Balthazar, but this anthology was the first to put the idea to the test. We thought we would fill four issues with pretty good stuff, and if it was non-canonical, I could manage it while Mike was otherwise occupied. At one point, one of us joked about calling it Weird Tales, after which we couldn't think of another title and couldn't get that one out of our heads. Since the earliest Hellboy stories, so much of what Mike has done is inspired by the writers of the pulp magazines, the greatest of which was Weird Tales. Mike's work pays tribute to the stamens of the original magazine, authors like H.P. Lovecraft, Seabury Quinn, Robert E. Howard, Manly Wade Wellman, and Clark Ashton Smith, as well as earlier writers like William Hope Hodgson who inspired the Weird Tales authors and editors. We wanted this anthology to continue in that tradition, with no other unifying theme beyond the creators taking things in their own strange directions. 
I reached out to the people who held the rights to Weird Tales and arranged to license the title for this series. As soon as word got out about the anthology, writers and artists started beating down Mike's door, eager to contribute. Before we solicited the first issue, we doubled the length of the series. We could have made it even longer, but didn't want to risk overstaying our welcome. Our Weird Tales debuted in February 2003, with the last issue coming out days after the film's release in April 2004. Guy Davis drew a one-shot around that time and went on to become the regular BPRD artist and our regular collaborator on many other things. He teamed with Mignola in 2009 for some short stories in the back of Hellboy the Wild Hunt, and those stories are presented in the front of this collection. Scott Alley, Portland, Oregon, 2014. And in the front of the collected edition, it has um, those two stories, How Kashi Became Deathless, and Baba Yaga's Feast. We've already covered those. And so we're going to skip over to our first story, which is Children of the Black Mound. This is a non-canonical story published in Hellboy Weird Tales Number 1, written by Fabian Nasiza. And so this is an American comic book writer and editor who is best known for his work on Marvel titles such as X-Men, X-Force, New Warriors, Cable, Deadpool, and Thunderbolts for all of which he helped create numerous characters. X-Force. And, that, and that's mostly what I know him for, is for X-Men, right, Aubrey? Yeah, that's that's what I know. I know him as the guy who took over after Louise Simonson and after Chris Claremont. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> A very big task. This is illustrated by Stefano Raphael. He's an Italian comic book artist, and he's done some work for The Big Two, colored by Elena Sanjes, lettered by Michael Heisler, and edited by Scott Alley. We open in 1896 at the Theological Cemetery of Tbilisi. This is the capital of the country of Georgia, and the Tbilisi Spiritual Seminary is a spiritual training institution which operated from 1817 to 1919. So that does fit in with the historical fiction here. But the building looks different from this. Oh, okay. It doesn't look like this. It's a more of a square building. You can look it up online. He wanted to get more of a, the cathedral look <clears throat> right. in there. We see Baba Yaga sitting on a cross. She says, They come from my womb, Oof. Georgia and Russia, St. Petersburg and further away. All are Baba Yaga's boys, my spine and ribs and pulsing blood. Her pestle here has a fucking... The other end of it is super sharp. Yeah, it is. It's all oh, spiky. Oh, right, yeah. Like it's a, like a stabbing yeah. weapon or something where it's like, you know, <clears throat> you've got the end where you grind things. Like the mortar and pestle, you know, you, you grind up the herbs and the thing. And the other end is for stabbing. Right. <laughs> I've never seen, I just never saw that interpretation of it before. Like, it's interesting. That's interesting. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even notice that. One of the seminary teachers is having a discussion with the group. There's a nice little Mignola S statue by Raphael here. It's good composition, too. Like, everything is very well balanced. One of the seminary teachers is talking to this group and he says, about the question of the day, when does God turn his back on his flock? <sighs> the answer is never, but are we facing him? <laughs> okay. And so the priest, he tells this story of a village in the woods not far from here, Stanivolk. And so that's not a real place. I tried looking that up. He's I can a- tell right away that like all these guys are just like, oh, okay, they're like looking at him. And this one guy's just mad. Oh right! <laughs> you Super can kind mad. Of see. He's got kind of a uh, an almost mustache situation going on. <laughs> he's, it's he's not quite the, a mustache. 
He's got that kind of like when you're when you're like mid-teens, yeah, trying to grow a mustache, mustache. But right. you refuse to shave it, which is making the situation worse. Like if only you would shave it, you would actually see some stronger stubble going on. In 1788, there's a bunch of children. They were being abducted by the Baba Yaga, and he puts it in this analogy of rain falling, which is a nice bit of writing, right? It started as a light patter, a baby here, a child there. It became a downpour. A new child had gone missing every day. Yeah. Imagine you're living in a place. You're living in a village where someone's fucking kid went missing every single day. And your kid now is gone. And this priest said, oh, she's with God now. She just fucking slaps the shit out yeah. of him, which, I mean, whom's amongst us <laughs> would, would be able to refrain from slapping the shit out of anyone who fucking said that. He says, their faith isn't strong enough. We are still nostalgic for the old ways. And there's also like a brown tint to the flashback, which is kind of like, you know, in the regular Mignolaverse stuff, they yeah, always kind of tint Yeah, it's the sepia tone yeah. kind of a thing. And so she's she's saying like, you know, our children are in the ground. You know, you got to face the reality of what's going on. And he's right. like, oh, no, you know, you got to have stronger faith. And this guy is like, that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> this yeah. is ridiculous. And he, the guy goes, oh, you have something to say, Yosef? He's like, what would faith accomplish that a shovel and hard sweat couldn't? I did think it was interesting that this guy is named Yosef. That's a fun coincidence. Although this is probably... Way before Yosef Nacheco's time. Right, and at first I was wondering, I was like, oh, is yeah. this Yosef? As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, is this Yosef's story? But then I went back and realized, no, the time, it doesn't match up. Well, I had to go back and look yeah. at it specifically, because you know how <laughs> I am. So he was a young soldier in 1948, and this is 1896. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, and right. uh, I'm glad to know that Yosef never had a shitty mustache. <laughs> no, I know, right? He seems like such a baller. Why would he have this? And also, what is the, it's kind of Ethan Hawkish. He's got the hair curtains. He does. Like that's like a '90s yeah. kind yeah. of uh, late '90s. Yeah. Um, and also, the character of Yosef Nacheco first appeared in June 2010, and this issue came out in 2003. So anyway, if you were thinking yeah. about that, was that mean? I don't want to bully anyone. I don't want to be like a bully. No, nah, you're good. Okay, even like so, I like you know he's a celebrity. I don't want to bully anyone just because they're famous or something. That's rude. He's, he's telling him hiding from the truth would not reveal where the bodies are buried. He's speaking truth to power. The guy's like, oh, do you doubt that God hears our calls? He's like, no, man, I'm just trying to like find this girl that's been kidnapped. He's like, a kidnapped person doesn't live very long. Right. You know, we're trying to actually take action for our community here and the guy's like but what about jesus what about god and he's like come on man the priest he compares it back to the people of stanivolk their people failed to trust in god their father tried to lead them but his message was lost or perhaps they were drawn to something else and so we're in the flashback and we kind of see this girl go out of the church to the woods and then some creepy little hands come out of the ground to grab her and then she's confronted by the Baba Yaga. So if you don't go to church, you're going to be eaten by the Baba Yaga. And we see her. She <laughs> okay. says, the Black Mound welcomes those who still want to believe. 
but they wouldn't come at all if they hadn't forgotten me, forsaken me. For that, they must be punished. Okay. And she grabs the girl's head and like smashes it into the ground. Jeez. So eventually, all the villagers left after all the kids were taken. And this is still that sepia tone that you're talking about. Like, right. Because you can tell it's a flashback or whatever. It's a story he's telling. The father says their belief had not been great enough. He tells Yosef, The Baba Yaga took those who stopped believing in her. God could not help those who would not help themselves. One's weakness is the other's strength. I just have a problem with so much of this. Like, it's the lack of faith. Right. That is the thing that made everything go wrong. Yeah. All right. So what do you believe in? The father asks Yosef. What do you believe? What is that from? It's from something. (laughs) What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger that's william fickner star of the dark knight (laughs) he finally remembered so yosef walks off and to the black mound where all the creepy little kid hands come up and he confronts the baba yaga also and she calls him the shoemaker's son she says many tried to live in his house but out of his light Russia is passing me by, but still I cling to what it was. What will you believe in, Yosef? And she says his full name. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but I did have to look it up. I want you to try and pronounce it. So did you know anything about the historical fiction of this, Aubrey? No, not not at all. Joseph Stalin was a Uh Georgian revolutionary and Soviet politician who led the Soviet Union. And that's his real name. This is Stalin? (laughs) <laughs> he was the general secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and the premier of the Soviet Union. Despite initially governing the Soviet Union as part of a collective leadership, he eventually consolidated power to become the country's de facto dictator by the 1930s. And he was a shoemaker's son. And when he was 16 in 1895, he received a scholarship to the Tbilisi Spiritual Seminary. He anonymously published poetry in Gregorian in the local press, and engaged in student politics. Although his performance had been good, he was expelled in 1899 after missing his final exams. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. So we talk about the historical fiction in a lot of the Hellboy verse, um, in a lot of these stories, and so I was really surprised that this is supposed to be stalin i guess i guess yeah he has the almost mustache like it's coming in it hasn't it, it, come in yet <laughs> and, and let's not also forget that stalin was also a really evil person who killed millions and millions of people there you go uh, i don't know who who's worse here bobby yager or stalin <laughs> right and when she asks him what he believes in she kind of jumps out at him with that pointy pestle like you were mentioning and he grabs her out of the air and hits her into the ground. Jeez, like, just grab the Bobby Yaga. He says, the one thing that will drive your kind both light and dark from our land, Baba Yaga, I believe in me. And then the afterword, and then we see her getting pulled down by all the little hands. The country had seen black myths supplanted by faith and would soon be faith supplanted by red steel. Yosef would grow and never forget where the bodies were buried but he would take their names to his grave. So uh, I was thinking, it's such a weird story, and I was yeah, trying to think really about weird. this. I don't understand. It's, uh, so it's, it's kind of like a parable about how... Puppies. 
it's kind of a parable of puppies. No, it's kind of a it's kind of a story about how the rise of communism is coming about at yeah, this time. Yeah. You know. Um I think that's what it's trying to symbolize in terms of the religious aspect and Baba Yaga's aspect. You know, it's going to be supplanted by red steel, Nasaza rights. So, anyway, um really interesting story. I thought that, what did you guys think of that one? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't care for it, to be honest with you. I no, don't no. feel like... I, it doesn't really resonate with me in any way. <laughs> Knowing that... It, I mean, I didn't make the solid connection because I just didn't. Makes it slightly more interesting to me. But when I originally read it, I was just like, this is kind of a slog to get through. Okay. Aww. I don't okay. know. I just, I see. It wasn't I, very long, though, so there you go. I know, but it, it felt like it took forever. <laughs> <laughs> So all these stories are supposed to be non-canonical. Yeah. But one of my favorite bits of feedback that we got a while back, I forgot what we were talking about, but Ross Radke, we were talking about another thing that was supposed to be supposedly non-canonical or whatever. And Ross Radke was like, Mignola has often said, or he, I don't even know, this is the lore of Mignola, but I think Ross Radke said that Mignola had said that people can decide if they want things to be canon or not. Nice. You know? That's what yeah. we were talking about. We were talking about headcanon. Right. You know, and so that's I want like your own interpretation. So I want to propose this to you guys. The artwork. This story, Children of the Black Mound, canon or not? Chuck <laughs> it. Yeah, get rid of it. I don't <laughs> care about it. You know, I mean, it wasn't terrible. At the end of the day, I just didn't think it added anything to the Hellboy story. Okay. As okay. an artist, wow. I can see how it would be a great way to keep up your chops. Yeah. You know, in between yeah. what you're working on, I think that that's you know, I'm not saying the art is bad or the story is bad or anything like that. I'm not trying to be critical or be mean or anything like that. I just like, as far as fitting into the Hellboy universe, I don't really feel like okay. it. I guess it kind of really feels like it actually feels more like a. It has this Hellboy weird tales, so. Right. It does feel like a would go into one of those weird tarot magazines. Sure, right. exactly. No, and yeah. that's yeah. they hit the mark with that. They yeah. hit the Yeah. That's cool. It's a it's a Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Before we get to this next story, we have this pinup by Ty Rubin Ellingson. He is a cinematic visual effects artist, director, and conceptual designer. And it's called Sugar Coated Wire featuring Carl Rupert Cronin. So I don't know. I guess sugar-coated wire is that thing in the background. I tried to look that up. I was like, is this a, its own comic or something? But I couldn't find anything about it. So that's just what this pinup is called. The robot's face kind of looks like a movie projector on the side. Oh, yeah. On the side. I like where, you, where the film gets threaded in. Right. It does have that feel. Uh, no, I like this image. This is a great image. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like these pinups. We'll see yeah. more of them as we go through. And the next story we're going to talk about is Doc Hollow's Grand Vibro Destructo Machine or Lobster Johnson Action Detective Adventure. This I is... am so fucking excited <laughs> for this. I This is the one that I was really excited about. Oh, man, this one, yeah, I love this one. This one was great. This is a non-canonical story published in Hellboy Weird Tales 1 through 8. The story was serialized into eight two-page episodes. Each issue of Hellboy Weird Tales contained an episode. So we're reading it here in the collected version, and they're all back-to-back, but every issue had one of these. Story and art by John Cassidy, who we already mentioned earlier. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. And when I started reading so I thought this, that was cool yeah, too. Yeah, super cool. When I started reading this, I was like, first of all, we're, it's the gang's all here. 
I'm very excited for that. That makes it feel yeah. so real. But like, this is John Cassidy. Okay, he tried something. Yeah, he tried the throwback feel, and I appreciate that. Oh, that I love he it. was when he went out of his normal. This like you can feel that he had so much fun with this. Like oh, you yeah. can just feel it oh, yeah. coming through the page. Back when we read Lobster Johnson, The Burning Hand, if you remember in that sketchbook section, Zonyich talked about Roy Crane and Noel Sickles' Masters of Day Toning, which would have been used a lot during this time period. And so it looks like Cassidy is, in, is using that Day yeah. kind of style, too. I don't know the specifics of this. It's a classic kind of a, it's the funny pages. See? It looks like you that. Know, yeah, like it's it looks very... like it's printed there. I'm I'm really impressed though because to be able to change your style that radically is so impressive to me and to have it translate so well and to be so fluid like he doesn't seem like he's struggling at all on the page it just seems like he's having a great time yeah and it really comes through I did take some of these summaries from the Hellboy wiki which is a great resource so I don't know if I'm cheating a little bit with this story but I thought they had a good way of concisely talking about what happens in each one of these stories um, but I wanted you, would you read the little box? <laughs> I did this, I did this early when I started reading it. I was so excited to read it that I read it out loud and I just was yelling across the house to John <laughs> and he told me, he was like, oh, you gotta do it. His assistant kidnapped while trying to intercept Doc Hollow's grand vibro-destructo machine. The brave Lobster Johnson sets out to rescue him, to capture the top secret weapon and to bring the evil abductors to justice. The justice of the lobster's claw. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. Amazing. I actually, that's kind of how I was hearing that. Yeah, for real. I mean, you can't hear it any other way, right? Like, you got you to gotta put that, like, that, that, that radio vo- right. affectation it's, there's voice. A, it's actually, there's an actual term for what that's called. I yeah, what is that? I, I can't it. think of it think either. Like, I'll, find, I'll find that video. Yeah, you, please do. Cool, yeah. Please do, yeah. But it talks all about that. I think it's like the mid, we call it mid-Atlantic, but... Yeah, whatever. something. It's like this, it's a very specific old-timey yeah. radio yeah. voice thing. But yeah, I would love to, I'd be very interested <laughs> if you could find that. And I also like in the corner, it's got the date, like if it was each week or whatever. So this one says July 25th, 1939. Lobster Johnson is on the trail of Crimson Hood, who has taken both Johnson's assistant as well as Doc Hollow's Grand Vibo Destructo machine. Just when Johnson gets the drop on Crimson Hood, he escapes down a trap door. This was so much fun to read. This was so much fun to read because it was just so, your chopper squad won't hold me. Yeah. And like, it's just yeah. very, like... <laughs> I love this. It's, I mean, I love I love um, Sunday comics like this, so this was... Like Danielle said, it was such a joy. It's so good. The whole thing where it's like the Crimson Hood hits a switch, a secret switch on his desk, which opens a trapdoor under his feet, allowing for a cowardly retreat. Yeah. Like saying so you know exactly who the bad guys are. Yeah. Cowards. And you know who the good guys are. They're pow, zip, zam. Yeah. You know? and it's, just it's got very... all the sound effects. Um, I like that little click panel that made me think of Matt, where yes. it says click when uh, he's pushing yes. the button. Yes, when he's pushing the button, exactly. Yeah. Same here. I was like, oh, he would love this. And then he goes, dang. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't over. And I do like this panel where he's like kicking and punching this guy at the yes, same time. It's yeah. really good. John Cassidy the, has yeah. some great work. Pals, and, and But even this this panel in the middle where he's the, the red hood is pointing. Yeah. And it's the composition of that, just that panel with the... The you know that Nazi symbol and the fucking all this stuff. He's like, 
That's the bad guy. Right. That's yes. the bad guy. And I do love this also to be continued panel. And it's mm-hmm. got the lobster's yeah. claw the lobster and his claw. little symbol there. It's the funny pages. It's the yeah. it's this would be the one that I would look forward to every week. <laughs> yeah, on Sunday. I would I would look for this one, turn right to this one. Cut yeah. it out, you know, yeah. use some flour and water to paste it. Oh yeah, that's into old a school. little Do you remember putting the Sunday silly putty on there? <laughs> silly oh, putty yeah. and then you could peel yeah. the silly putty off and the picture had transferred over. Yes. That was amazing. That was pure yeah. magic. And now for episode two. On the trail of the Crimson Hood, the menace responsible for the disappearance of Lobster Johnson's assistant and Doc Hollow's vibro-destructo machine, Lobster Johnson finds the evil crew in an underground bunker and gives chase. Yes. Unable to pursue Crimson Hood down the trap door, Johnson instead interrogates some of Crimson Hood's left-behind henchmen to learn where their boss is headed. I love the language in this, the monstrous barricade. Yeah. You know, and it's got the, it's just very, everything. The crustaceous avenger. Yeah, everything is larger than life. The crustaceous avenger, the face the justice of a lobster's claw. You know, everything is so... This whole fucking shit where he's interrogating him and he's got him by the collar. The guy goes, go climb up your thumb. I know from nothing. Like the affectation and all yeah. the language is ridiculous. Go climb up your thumb. I guess that means like go fuck yourself. Right. right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. This would also be cool if it was done like a uh, like a radio show. I oh, would yeah. love it. Yeah. That would be great. I remember my grandfather used to tell me like um, he would get the Sunday comics and he'd go listen to the radio, and they would read the Sunday comics yeah. on the radio. And so wow. I, they would be doing it in that voice and everything. But the art itself is so joyful. And so like they really did a good job of not just recreating like classic styles, but breathing life into oh, it. Yeah. Really kind of bringing it to life for like, for just, it is what it is kind of a thing. But I, I'm... I found myself really enjoying this. The whole thing, like, all right, you don't have to put the screws on. Like, it's just a very. I could enjoy this as though like a kid in the fucking forties would be enjoying this. And like, you, you Daisy Rat, like, what the hell is it? That reminds me of like the like Doc Holiday, right? You're Daisy if you do, kind of a thing. And um, and so the date on this one is Sunday, August first, nineteen thirty nine. And it's got that to-be-continued panel at the end. And then we go... All right, scoundrel. Now let's see who's two steps ahead. Yeah. (laughs) What is this? I just love it. And now for episode three. In a desperate search for his kidnapped assistant and Doc Hollow's grand vibro-destructo machine, Lobster Johnson is led to a stately mansion in upstate New York, hot on the trail of the maniacal Crimson Hood. (laughs) (laughs) Climbing the side of the estate, our hero finds his way to an entrance. <laughs> and it literally says entrance. Oh, it does. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, just that's... read it as normal. That is so funny. I'm saying like that's the affectation. <laughs> They're really giving it to They're you. They're really giving it to you. And he finds his assistant. <laughs> and and a, he... this is a real this is a real pulp fiction situation here. Yeah, this is this, is, was... this got serious. Wow. This yeah. turned a corner. He's all dressed in this kind of fishnets, kind of fetish gear. He's like, he's like uh, Dr. Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. Well, and it look he looks like all beat up and like yeah, it, yeah. It, it looks serious. It looks he's like got this a ball gag in his mouth. It looks pretty serious, and so this is 
But he calls him, he's still, like, it's still a goofy tone. I, it's so odd. He goes, This is nasty. He goes, My God, chum, are you all right? Peachy, sir. Do you happen to have an extra firearm on you? I've had time to do some thinking, and I believe I'd like to do some killing now. Yeah. This is this is pretty intense. Yeah. Wow. So you know, I not to make light of sexual abuse. Right. Let's just continue. Right. <laughs> to be continued. He hands him a Tommy gun. There you go. I love it. So you know, I don't I don't want to make fun of that. So right. let's just keep going. That was a little unexpected for me. <laughs> and episode four. Following the trial of the Crimson Hood. To an upstate New York mansion, Lobster Johnson has found his kidnapped assistant flustered yet alive. Below, in the mansion library, Nazi agents await the arrival of the mysterious hooded villain and Doc Hollow's vibro-destructo machine. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Elsewhere, in the same estate, Crimson Hood gives his vibro-destructo machine to his Nazi bosses, and they begin to celebrate. Their celebration is cut short, by the arrival of Lobster Johnson this and his This motherfucker just like reading Edgar Allan Poe very obviously. I was going to say, what the fuck? Butler's why bringing up the there? martinis. But why is that in there? This one guy has lipstick on his collar. Okay. These little details, yeah, they're very <laughs> of the time, I guess. But I do love this moment where the butler comes out and he says, visitors, and he's got the lobster claw. Yeah, he's like, sir visitors and then the fucking lobster eyes right behind yeah, as he's falling I like over that. it's a great effect yeah it's super good the claw is the here the claw is here yeah his assistant says oh man <laughs> to be continued episode five. Oh, it's me Sorry. yes okay <laughs> with lobster johnson's assistant rescued and doc hollow's grand vibro destructor machine revealed our heroes get the drop on the villainous Crimson Hood and his motley Nazi crew. <laughs> With the group at gunpoint, Lobster Johnson forces Crimson Hood to unmask. Crimson Hood is revealed to be Doc Hollow himself. He stole his own invention back from the U.S. government in order to sell it to the Nazis and get paid twice for the same work. Jinkies! The Nazis open fire on Lobster Johnson and his assistant. I love how the kill them. Yeah, <laughs> you and your greed end here. To be continued. Episode six. After rescuing his assistant, Lobster Johnson now turns his attention to returning Doc Hollow's vibro destructo machine to the authorities and bringing the nefarious ring of evildoers to justice. Beware, Beware my, my claw. claw. Yes, yeah. very good. In the ensuing gunfight, the vibro-destructor machine is dropped and activates. It begins shaking the estate apart. I gotta say, this is actually a pretty well-made machine if it falls to the ground, smashes, and still works. Sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, let me see what works in quotes because it's obviously malfunctioning. But... Right, right, right. Is this just me? Like, is the vibro... Yes, I was gonna... Yes. It, it looks like a cock and balls. It's phallic, yeah, okay. it is. I like this insult. He says, sorry, Ratsy. Yeah, Nazi isn't bad enough. He's got to say, like, something else. Yeah. The building is tearing apart. (laughs) (laughs) I like the facial uh, expression here that we get where, like, the lip is out of control. Yeah. That's a nice little effect there. Yeah, it's good. To be continued. 
Episode 7. Lobster Johnson and his assistant are caught in a forensic gunfight with a gang of nefarious Nazi agents when suddenly Doc Hollow's vibrator smashes to the <laughs> ground and comes to life, shaking the very foundations of a building. So this is a ridiculous place. Yes, this yes. Is, this this is... whole thing is ridiculous. Yeah. Your your comparisons to Rocky Horpix show were, were very yes, astute. Yes, it's, you know, all yeah. It's just a whole big... Fucking potty joke, all of it. Lobster Johnson and his assistant shoot at the now fleeing Nazis. I like filling him with daylight, boss. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's like, because you can, you know. Doc Hollow is killed by the vibro destructor machine in an attempt to deactivate it and thus saves his life's work. Johnson and his assistant free the estate as well. Jumping June bugs, he popped like a water balloon. Right, that's when he tries to hold on to it. <laughs> Don't lose your moxie, chum. The looks on their faces, like after he pops, yeah, he's like, oh, <laughs> like, all right, okay. Fuck. But will they escape in time? Ah, to be concluded. Find out next week. Same lobster time, <laughs> same lobster channel. And finally, chapter eight. During a violent gunfight between Lobster Johnson and a gang of devilish Nazi hoods, Doc Hollow's vibrator machine smashes to the ground and erupts into life. The vibrations of the dreaded machine bring the walls of the mansion crumbling to the ground. <laughs> Thank you for doing that for all of these. That was great. Lobster Johnson and his assistant escape Yow! the collapsing building at the last possible moment. The Ratsies are getting away. It's no use, chum. Yeah. Johnson is unperturbed since having overheard their conversation earlier, and he knows where they're going, and he remarks, there is no escaping the justice of the lobster's claw. And so here they mention Hunt Castle. And so, you yeah. know, Hunt Castle took place in 1939, and these strips were from the year 1939. Now, that was March 1939, and these are like July and August right. 1939. I mean, so even outside of canon, like, it could still reference, I think, things outside of... So, I wanted to talk about when we read Lobster Johnson, The Iron Prometheus. That was the very first Lobster Johnson trade that we read. And in that one, if you remember, like, in every issue, it had this true history of Lobster Johnson. And it had, like, all these different incarnations. And yeah. so in the second one, there was the... So first there was the pulp version of the lobster. And then... And I'm reading this from the comic... By the end of the year, the character would return, this time as a comic book hero. The character remained basically the same, vigilante killer by night, paraplegic millionaire by day, but now the action was moved to the thick of World War II Europe, where the lobster would battle legions of Nazi zombies, vampires, and werewolves. In Left Hand of Justice, the lobster killed Adolf Hitler, but Hitler would return several times during the course of the series as an increasingly grotesque Frankenstein-like monster. The comic book Lobster ran 38 issues, ending in 1946, after an ill-conceived attempt to convert the wartime hero to an alien battling spaceman. <laughs> so, but that made me think, like... Aubrey's oh, reaction is right on point. Canon or not? <laughs> I feel like, look, even if it's outside of, like, quote-unquote canon, yeah. it's canon in a way, yes. in my heart and mind, because... I feel like it's the comic books that Hellboy was right, reading. Right. We, we saw him yeah. reading Lobster Johnson comics. That's I feel like these are those comics. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I agree. So, I mean, 
is this story, did this story happen in real life? No, but I do believe that Hellboy read it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Those are the, those are the yeah. comics that he was reading that were scattered all over his room growing up, for sure. Well, I was going to mm-hmm. say, you know, since Lobster Johnson did go to Hunt Castle in this year, this might have been their way because he was, like, apparently working for the government and then he died. You know, that was his last appearance alive. Yeah. So this comic might have been like, but he comes back. This is what happened after Hunt Castle. Yeah. And all this kind of stuff. And it's like keeping the legend alive. I don't know. That's how I kind of took it. And so I would say that it is canon for me, just like for the reasons Danielle said. But what a cute idea to illustrate the books that little yeah. kid Hellboy. Was yeah, like, yeah. A, I love anything that has to do with Lobster Johnson, whether it be like the Lobster Johnson, like the actual Lobster Johnson stories or... You know, these cheesy little pulp comics that are right. supposed to be like the, like, you know, you get into like superhero movies like Old Man Logan story where he was like, oh, this is just bullshit. This isn't anything. This oh, isn't right. real. They took it. Most of this is fake. And they showed like an actual issue of yeah. X-Men. Yeah. Which yeah. was, it was interesting, you know, how they included that in the story. Right. And so this is that version. Yeah. I love that. I love that. But that's, if, that's if, how I feel about it, too. Yeah. But if, like Ross Radke said, if we can decide what is canon and what's not, I would say, I'm going to say that this is. I would say it's a fictionalized version of yes. canon. Right. Yeah. I would say it's like within the canon. Yes. This is the comic books. Yes. That are in that I canon. I love that. I this totally is, agree, 100%. This is the funny pages that occurred when Hellboy was a kid. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to talk yeah. about this Hot Noodles pinup yeah, oh, so by oh, Eric Powell. So Eric Powell, he's an American comic book writer and artist best known as the creator of The Goon. I love this Hot Noodles drawing, and it's so perfect. Yeah. From the facial expression to the body language <laughs> to the proportions of the red hand of Doom to the rest of Tiny Little Hellboy. It's just perfect. The pipe with the bubbles. It's so cute. Yeah. It's very nice. I love it. And that's great to talk about Eric Powell. You know, I actually got to meet Eric Powell this last year. Yeah. I got some Goon comics signed by him. He was super cool. He was super nice. So, yeah, the yeah. Goon is a great issue. And maybe we'll talk about a Hellboy Goon crossover this Halloween. Hey. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Ooh. And it's great to talk about Eric Powell as well because he did this next story, Midnight Cowboy. This was featured in Hellboy Weird Tales Issue 2, story and art by Eric Powell, letters by Michelle Madsen. She's a colorist and letterer for Dark Horse Comics, and maybe we'll see more of her work in the future. And edited by Scott Alley. We open in late 1947 at an Air Force base somewhere in New Mexico. So if you remember the Hellboy pancakes, that's the same opening. It says late 1947, an Air Force base somewhere in New Mexico. And we also see this guy, and he looks exactly like General Norton Ricker. Yeah. That's the same general who was coaxing Hellboy into eating the pancakes. So I really like that. I feel like this story could happen almost like right after or right before that happened. And I like the idea that like there's something on a trail that's covered in a big tarp, and it looks like a tent (laughs) shape. Right. And he's like, is it a circus? And we've seen oh. Hellboy with, like, you know, the Midnight Circus. You're right. You know, yeah. I didn't even think about that. He's oh, my God. He's super pumped. That was his first. And oh. So go ahead, Irvi. No, go ahead. I was like, no, no, John. I mean, I immediately made that contact when yeah. I saw the name in the circus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Danielle. No, that's cool. Of course. No, you're not interrupting. That's We're interacting. That's It's a podcast. It's friendship. Yeah, but that is also interesting because... 
this hadn't come out yet. The Wait. Midnight Circus hadn't come out when this story... I like it because it fits. it still fits in with the canon, kind of, and it would be the following year. So... Hellboy is psyched about the circus here, and then later he's going to be drawn to this circus that he sees. So it kind of sets it up, even though... Okay, so like he's pumped for the circus, and then he has his real circus experience. The next year. He does the hero dose. (laughs) Right. He does the heroic dose circus experience, and then he's like, no more circus. We see General Ricker... He navigates this military flatbed into the hangar, and like Danielle says, it has this huge thing that looks like it could be a, a circus like a, tent. Well, he's a little like a, kid. It's like a I giant guess. tarp. Yeah, I guess he hasn't had many experiences at this point, so, you know. And General Ricker, he says, it's not a circus, and don't be playing around Hangar 7. It ain't for little fellows like you. Later that night, we see Hellboy with Mac trying to get into the hangar, right? Come on, Mac. I heard they have hot dogs at the circus. Nice. <laughs> I like how he just rips that panel. Right, right yeah. He's got the right hand of doom. Oh, he yeah. Do it's that. just like, it, at first I was like, oh, is that a tarp? No, it's a steel panel. Right. And the nails are on the ground. He's just like crumpling it. And so when he goes inside, he sees basically like aliens, right? This is horrible. He's like, wow. And this panel of these really horrific crumpled up aliens are just, just, God. And we see like a UFO in the background. He says, look, Mac, naked bug-eyed people in tubes. That's That's great. (laughs) No wonder they don't want kids in here. And poor Mac goes over. He sees this boogery stuff and he starts licking it and Hellboy's like, don't eat that. Oh no, what's wrong? And so Mac starts mutating. And excuse me, I got real upset at this. So I was like, look, the only way they can bring this back is if he magically just is saved somehow and turns back into Mac. Right. And of course, that's, you know, that's what happens. Right. So stick with us. It's cool. But all of a sudden, the some sort of alarm goes off. And so Hellboy freaks out. He puts a bucket over Mac's head. And so he's like trying to push him into this locker. It's all very comical. And so General Norton comes out. This I like- has real sibling energy where... You accidentally hurt your brother somehow, and you're, they're like crying, bloody murder, and you're just like, no, shh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're fine, and because you don't want to get in trouble or some shit, so you just like try and like hide, calm them down and right. hide them and hush them up. Put them away somewhere. How old is Hellboy here? He's like just a little kid, right? He's super little. Uh, it's 47, so he'd be like two. Yeah. yeah. He's just a tiny baby. And General Ricker comes up. I like how... He's in like his robe, but he's still got his hat on. Why, hello, fellow <laughs> army guys. Nice this night for doing my... army stuff. <laughs> this is my favorite panel Aww. of all time. And he's got the little, <laughs> like he can't put the helmet on. Remember we saw oh, later, man. you know, that's why he starts to he shave them. Because the he like, yet. but he hasn't done that yet. And Ricker says, I told you to stay out of here. And he's like, oh, I could have sworn this was a different hangar. I'm sleepwalking. And they hear all this banging. And they're like, what's that? And he says, it's a wild engine stalking women folk. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of like. Ugh. Well, we don't like that. 
So what we're gonna but say that, is, but that would have been that yeah. would have been what was portrayed in the yes, movies that yeah. he was watching at the time. We'll talk a little bit more. He's about watching that. at the time. There's a lot of it was a big cowboys and native people are bad, which is not correct. But that's all the movies he was looking at. So that's those were his influences. That's what we're going with. They hear all the banging from Mac in the locker, and the dog bursts out. And the general's like, shoot that thing. And he's like, no, that's my dog. So he's Hellboy. He's got a full-on predator face, predator <laughs> right, jaw. His yeah. chin is like predator He's got eyes. all these eyes. And Hellboy takes this chain in like a lasso. He snags Mac. And then he's like flying with him. It's very cartoonish, right? Yeah, it's super cartoonish. Yeah. To the point where it's like three hours later. <laughs> And then you see, like, they finally got tired. It doesn't have to be a demon dog. I mean, some dogs are just like, they just go. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Then we see Mac, he gets sick, and he vomits up all that green boogery stuff and just falls down to the ground. We cut over to the general, and he's talking to Professor Broom. What do you mean there's a mutated dog on the loose and Hellboy is missing, Broom asks. And then we see Hellboy come up with Mac, and he's like, he's all better now. Oh, and, and Mac is all better. He looks he looks normal. He looks kind of tired, but he'll be all right. Hellboy, what's going on, broom ass? Mac ate some boogery stuff, and I grew real big, and I stuffed him in a locker and made out like he was a... And he was really wasn't that, but he got out, and I went after him, and I lassoed him, just like Gene Autry in The Singing Cowboy. <laughs> Hellboy, no more Gene Autry for you, Broom says. That just strikes me as a very, like, check, please. You know? (laughs) All right. So Orvin Grover Gene Autry, nicknamed the Singing Cowboy, was an American singer, songwriter, actor, musician, and radio performer who gained fame largely by singing in a crooning style on radio, in films, and on television for more than three decades beginning in the early 1930s. What's a song we might know from Gene Autry, John? In addition to his signature song, Back in the Saddle Again, Nice. Autry is still remembered for his Christmas holiday songs, most especially his biggest hits, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Here Comes Santa Claus, and Up on the Housetop. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly Jimson weed I'm back in the saddle again you know, I think it's really interesting, this story. You know, all of, a, of course, it's just like a kind of cartoony yeah, kind of... goofy little, you know... Obviously, yeah. we do not agree with any of the, like, quote-unquote wild engine stuff, but, like, you know, that's his... But that was would have been probably in those Gene yeah, Autry yeah, yeah, films exactly. and stuff like that. And to, so, yeah. then in this case, is it canon or not? I think this one fits in after all the stuff that we talked about, especially how it kind of almost leads into the Midnight Circus. I didn't even think of that sure, angle. I think, I think how yeah. I don't, you know, it wouldn't not be a thing. I can't see how it would interrupt anything. And we always see it him, help, you know, his life, yeah. in, a, in these 1947 stories, we see him out there playing with Matt. Yeah, yeah. And stuff yeah. like that, and I, I don't even think that these had those had come out at the time. I wanted more Mac, but I didn't want Mac like suffering. Yeah, <laughs> I never want to see a dog suffering. So, uh, for me, I think personally, this I'm gonna let this one slot into my head canon because I like the story. I thought it was fun. It was hilarious. The whole Hellboy trying to disguise himself as a soldier, thinking that that would actually work, and the, <laughs> the general just looking at him like, 
Hellboy, did not tell you to stay out of here. And I mean, I loved everything about this comic. I mean, it's beautiful to look at. It's well drawn. It's a fun story. And it doesn't take away from the main Hellboy. Right. What do you think, Danielle? I don't think there's a way that it could interfere with or right. hurt the official yeah. canon or like there's no it wouldn't be like a detriment to it other than the whole you know the thing that we touched on but i also don't see how it would have a profound effect on it so that's the reason these things are yeah quote unquote weird tales not yeah. they're out of canon they're just yeah. goofy goofball side stories yeah. <laughs> as long as I know Mac is okay, okay. I'll consider it Ken. If Mac made a full recovery and everybody's okay, then it's fine. But it's one of those, but that's that's the other side of it is that it's a monster of the wink, you know, Simpsons yeah. syndrome of like at the end of the yeah. episode, everything's back to normal. Sure. And we're not used to that because Mike Mignola has a very strict policy of ah. nothing goes back to normal, everything sticks. It tells a real actual story. So yeah. does this, or is it just a fun, goofy kind of a right. romp, romp? And it it is. It's just a fun, goofy, weekly cartoon kind of a romp, which is fine. And, you know, I think that's cute. You know, you take it at surface value. That's what I do. And I think it's like, oh, that's cute. That's a fun Hellboy yeah. story. Little Hellboy. I could do with a lot more of these cute little side stories. Yeah. I think they're fun yeah. and cool. But at the end of the day, like, do they really fit into the timeline of the... The big shit, like, you know. I think it does. Doesn't matter, but does it really matter? Like, it's, you know, everything kind of went back to normal at the end of it. And, uh, but I was also thinking about, um, if you've read the Goon comics, this is very in line with the kind of humor that they have and the way that those comics kind of, a lot of them play out. All of these, all of these so far have had that kind of. For me, I'm going to let this one stay canon, but uh, unless something else comes out to contradict it. For our next story, we're going to talk about Haunted. This is a non-canonical story published in Hellboy Weird Tales Issue 4, written by Tom Snagoski, who also had a writing credit on BPRD Hollow Earth, along with Mignola and Christopher Golden. Illustrated by Ovi Nadelku. Ovi Nadelku is the creator of a critically acclaimed comic book series, Pigtail. Ovi is also a character designer and story artist for clients such as Leica Studios, DreamWorks, Disney, and Cartoon Network. I was going to say, like, this is very Cartoon Network. The art is something you would see on Cartoon Network. Colored by Ovi Nadelku and Michelle Madsen, lettered by Michelle Madsen, and edited by Scott Alley. And so we open on this letter... As mentioned in our previous correspondence, an experienced operative with our organization will be dispatched to your location promptly to begin the process of evaluating the Ravenschild estate. And again, let me reiterate the gratitude of the Bureau for allowing us the opportunity to investigate the potential paranormal mysteries of your ancestral home. With warmest regards, Professor Trevor Broom, Director of the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. And so we see this car pull up to this estate, Raven's Child. I couldn't find anything about that. That's just, you know, a made-up cool name of a haunted estate. Nice. And we see Hellboy pull up with these two other agents. And they're like, are you nervous? Is this your first haunting investigation? And he's like, yeah, I'm all flutter. There's these two very cartoonish-looking guys. One's like the tall, skinny guy with a long, with a tall hair. Tall, freakazoid hair. Yeah, and then the other one's like a short, stocky guy. Better with, him than us, he with says. With the glasses. Yeah. 
But no, it's very the uh, the designs are all Cartoon Network for sure. Right, it's yeah. very. I was the second I saw this, I was like, this is extremely animation that we're dealing this, with. It kind of reminds me of the Men in Black cartoon from the nineties. That okay. was an animation okay, style. Okay, as a kid, I remember thinking, oh, this is good. So I haven't revisited it <laughs> since then, and I don't really care to. But I remember thinking as a kid, like, oh, this is, this is something to this right. black cartoon. This is good. And I never actually watched it. I just saw the commercial. I was a young kid. I was a little kid. Yeah. So I don't know if it was or not. But as Hellboy enters, I like that there's those like haunted eyes like above the doorway and stuff like that. I thought that was a nice little detail. So he goes in there. And it's really got an animation feel to it. It really does. Through, yeah. And he pulls out his little like ghost radar dish gun that he's supposed to have, but it quickly malfunctions and just blows up on his back. And I that reminded me of Wake the Devil, you know, where he jumps out with yeah. the rocket pack or whatever. It's just won't like lie. crap. It just blows yeah. up, right? I was like looking, trying to see if I could see a Zinko logo on it. Somewhere. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and his little patch, you know, the little details are cute. It's really nice. Yeah, the designs are yeah. really nice on this. This isn't a criticism as much as it is a personal taste thing, but the right hand of Doom for me is not big and chunky enough. Oh, it's yeah. It's kind of like almost a regular hand. Right, not... you're right. That's an interesting take on it. I'm not really It just a looks like a stone regular hand. It just looks like a regular hand. And like, just because, I think that's only because... The style itself is so chunky and blocky right? that in order to do the right hand of doom, it would have to be like overly chunky and blocky. Right. So like the forearm, for example, is still proportionate to the hand, whereas we're used to a more like the hand is the same width as the forearm. Right. Okay. Kind of a thing. Yeah, and yeah. so like, and that's it. That's their take. And I'm not trying to take that away from them or criticize or whatever. I just like personally, it's like a personal thing. And so everyone has their own personal tastes. I personally prefer like a bigger, chunkier, more extreme, like Mignola size. Right. Yeah. yeah. The big giant stone hand. The sure. very asymmetrical kind of Because they're, they're almost the same size. Like the two hands are almost the same size. And it's I kind of thicker. At I the never base. got the impression yeah. that they were supposed to be the same size. Yeah. But that's, you know, to and, each their own. And so the gag in this is as Hellboy starts going up the stairs, he's like, hey, anybody spectral up here? And there's a ghost right behind him. But since he doesn't have that radar dish, he's just like, he doesn't see any of this. There's and like then, a pink panther. A little cat. Can- yeah, a little kitty ghost. Here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he keeps poking around, and then there's just more ghosts coming up on him. We see this one with the eyeballs. I like the eyeballs that kind of follow him around All the, the corner. All the like cartoony designs, the like Hercules style yeah, designs. It, it reminded yeah. me of the Beetlejuice cartoon. Beetlejuice cartoon, yeah. Hercules cartoon. It's all very stylistic and, right. you know. And so he goes up into the attic to check there. The little ghost cat follows him up as well. I like some of the little details up in the attic. There's something that looks like a Hulk. There's just more and more ghosts and as this goes on. There's like a, it almost looks like um, Lilo and Stitch, the little toy right there. Oh, shit. Okay. There's a spider yeah, waving a to the ghost. Oh, there's a spider waving to the ghost. I didn't even notice that little He's detail. He's like, hey, That's cute. Oh. He's like to the cat. Yeah. Like they're pals. So uh, in the attic, Hellboy doesn't find anything. And at this point, the ghosts are like climbing on him and there's they're all so playing many, yeah. and there's so many. It's just like filling the page. It's and I really love the, the color is so yeah. cool. It's very vibrant and it really draws your eye. Like Hellboy isn't even the focus. It's just all these crazy yeah. ghosts. Hellboy goes down to the kitchen and there's a ghost in there throwing a pizza. 
throwing like a pizza dough or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Then he goes down to the wine cellar, and there's the There's nothing up. worse than a liquored up poltergeist. Right, and we see these two <laughs> little guys down there. I like those guys. This is all really cute. Sure, yeah. But Hellboy's, the whole gag is like, as he's not finding anything. This is a big waste of time, and there's like ghosts everywhere. They're everywhere. Partying. I mean, they're literally filling up the whole page, and they're all kind of taunting him and following behind him it's really cute so finally he's like i'm going out the door so if you've got something to say say it to me now that's that and so he goes out those two agents are out there they're like well what's the verdict maybe i scared him off if there are any ghosts in there they didn't want to mess with me and he's got like a little kick me sign right they put a kick me sign that's what they were all laughing at as they were following behind and that's this is cute because he goes there's so many places where he goes in and immediately there's trouble it's it's immediately apparent there's some fucked up shit going on and people start fucking with him and it's just the whole thing and he gets real beat up <laughs> and he just goes in here and just nothing happens as far as he's concerned. But there's stuff going on the whole right, time yeah. and it's totally harmless and well, they're just having a goofball time. The worst thing that happened to him in this one is they put a kick me sign. Yeah, and back. it's just you like a goofy I mean? yeah. Yeah, fun. Yeah, silly. I thought that was an interesting take. And, and yeah. I like the, the end where it has all the ghosts laughing at him in yeah. that last panel. Like, ah, we got you. So in terms of this one... Cannon or non-cannon? <laughs> so, so what do you think about this one? I mean, I, I just like the last one. I think this one's harmless. I think this one could be canon. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would be like, who are these agents? We never see these agents again. Maybe they get killed in a Guy Davis story Their or something. Their designs like are a little, yeah. <laughs> sure. What do you to think, me, Aubrey? To me, this feels like a comic book adaptation of a Hellboy cartoon that probably exists in Hellboy's world. Ah. In the the same way that the Lobster Johnson could be the comics that Hellboy was reading, this could be somebody making a cartoon about Hellboy that then got adapted into a comic book like they do with, like, you know, the Batman. Yeah. Or I was thinking, Uh, like, the Ninja Turtles one that looked like the comic. That looked like the cartoon, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, these are all very low stakes, inconsequential kind of stories, but at the same time... You know, there's two sides to every coin, you know, like at the same time, like we want these big, broad, I personally am a big fan of like, you know, we talk, we talk about all the time how the island and like the story, the last story we just read about, oh, it's incredible. It's amazing. But sometimes you don't want something that's heavy and carrying the weight of the whole world and implications of your very existence on the line. Sometimes you just want like a goofy little kind of a, no, I mean, you know i did enjoy the story i thought it was uh whimsical and just kind of funny but i mean uh and i and i love the art i thought the art for the most part was great um i do agree with you that i, I wish the right hand of doom would have been chunkier right but uh you know for the most part i was okay with it all i feel like some you know? of these stories would be kind of a way for like i don't have any kids but i wonder if there are hellboy fans out there who have oh, yeah. kids and their kids are like dad what's hellboy Mom, what's Hellboy? Oh, and, yeah. This would be a good one. You to know, show and you yeah. got to be like, well, mommy can't tell you about Hellboy. It's a little <laughs> bit much. So you can hand them kind of like this goofy you show them the movies. Cartoon Network yeah. type of comic book that has like, oh, it's a fun little adventure yeah. where a Hellboy sure. is going. He's the ghosts are making fun of him. And there isn't there like a little Hellboy like yes. goofy cartoon we'll, we'll get to that eventually. sure so yeah. it's you know the art balance it's kind of one. a way for like your kids want to know everything you're doing as i don't know anything about raising kids but i do know that 
oftentimes they're they want to be into whatever you're into so like this that that kind of thing might be a way to be like oh you want to be interested in to what your parents are interested in so you can kind of give them like help Hellboy light, heck boy. Sure. <laughs> type of a thing. You know, you give them kind of a little, you know, quote unquote, Hellboy is there. So they're like, I'm doing yes. what mom is doing. Right. I'm doing what dad is doing. So I don't know. It's really interesting. I think that the artist went on to work for Dream DreamWorks and Leica Studios who did like Kubo and the Two Strings and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think you can really tell like just looking absolutely. at the designs yeah, absolutely. here and the colors. Um, I think that you could use this as part of your portfolio or something and be like, absolutely no, everything that you work on is going to get you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think a lot of these guys, we'll get to some of the other ones are, are, um, film people, which I think is interesting choice for a lot of these artists and writers. I think you have to be, um, people think that the only skill that you need to draw comic books or whatever you know sequential art is like oh you can draw no not everyone can do sequential art it takes a like you're saying like an animation yeah yeah you have to have that skill of cinematography of animation it's like directing a movie you have to know how to do all that that is what it's like it's like an animation storyboard yeah Yeah. it has to be dynamic that's a good one our next story, A Love Story, was published in Hellboy Weird Tales, Issue 7, written by Tommy Lee Edwards, illustrated by Tommy Lee Edwards with Don Cameron, lettered by John Workman, and edited by Scott Alley. Tommy Lee Edwards is an American illustrator. Edwards' varied portfolio includes works created in the realm of comics, video games, books, advertising, film, and animation. Don Cameron works in the art department for films. John Workman is an American editor, writer, artist, designer, colorer, letterer in the comic book industry. He is known for his frequent partnerships with the writer-artist Walter Simonson, and also for lettering the entire run of Grant Morrison, Rachel Pollock's Doom Patrol, which is a pretty... So, yeah, um, the, the lettering on this is really cool and interesting. We open in 1964 at the Fairfield, Connecticut BPRD HQ. And so I like Edward's version of this. And Broom is talking to Hellboy. He tells Hellboy about a Mr. Lewis who has been restoring a P-40 aircraft. The Curtis P-40 Warhawk is an American single-engine, single-seat, all-metal fighter and ground-attack aircraft that first flew in 1938. The Warhawk was used by most Allied powers during World War II and remained in the frontline service until the end of the war. It was the third most produced American fighter of World War II. When Lewis took up the plane, all this weird ghost stuff happened. They traced the plane's origins back to Rangoon, 1941. The original pilot had a lot of kills, but they were all unofficial because when it finally landed, the medics found something they couldn't explain. I need you to visit Mr. Lewis in India, Hellboy, Broom says. Sounds like this plane has gotten restless, Hellboy says. Like it needs to get somewhere. And then so we cut to three weeks later in China, and we see Hellboy in the aircraft, and he's like, I can't believe this was my idea. (laughs) 
And as he's flying, so we see all this green stuff. And so in this first panel, you don't really see it really well, but there's like something around the aircraft. And we also get this flashback. This is really beautiful work here. And we see like a soldier and then we see like he has a partner. And a lot of this is just like inferred. You were talking about storyboards, you know, Edwards and Don Cameron work on films. You just get more of a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You get a feeling, but you can tell that this guy was in love with somebody. Each of these could be a painting. Right, and yeah. And they put these paintings into a sequence that were supposed to give you just like emotions and feelings. And it's supposed to like, but it tells a story when it's put sequentially. Right. It's just an interesting I way like to that. do it. So, yeah. And, and it's kind of cool because it's cutting to Hellboy and then to this memory thing so then we cut back to hellboy and he's like you guys should really try the whole rest in peace thing it would make life a lot easier it's just a lot of snapshots then after that so like the top of the page is hellboy's reality and then the bottom it's the three fourths of it is yeah is all of these like snapshots these could almost be like you're flipping through a like a and even the rounded corners right. makes it, it feel like you're flipping that. through a, like somebody's photo album. Yeah. It's like the story of the guy. I guess he was a pilot or something on the plane. Yeah. So I like the way that they do it with keeping Hellboy at the top and its frame is like, you know, rectangle all straight and then the bottom it's condensed and all rounded. Right. Like, yeah. And around the plane that Hellboy's flying, there are like these green dragon light images those are like the evil ghosts or something. And in the flashbacks, we kind of see, is this supposed to be the bombing of Pearl Harbor? Because they were talking about World War II a lot. So I was wondering what that was here. But he like, there's some sort yeah, of blast. Yeah, December 1941 is yeah, Pearl, Harbor. That's Pearl Harbor. Right. And so he gets blasted, but then he's like, he's still alive. And so he looks upset as he gets up. We cut back to Hellboy. He's like, come on, we're almost there. And we see all these evil dragon ghosts or whatever spirits are engulfing the plane in the flashback we see that the guy he was dogfighting all the other planes or something well if it's pearl harbor then it's yeah dogfighting the japanese the spitfires and all that and broom also said that he had the most unofficial kills so i guess like he was pretty good at taking out some of these other planes and we see like his windscreen is getting all cracked in the plane with gunfire We cut back to Hellboy, and he's like, I could use some help here. And we see this blue hand, I guess this is the ghost or whatever, it kind of comes over Hellboy, and we see it kind of go over his hand and guide the stick or whatever so he can fly the plane correctly. Now that's more like it, Hellboy says. Broom said that the medics found something they couldn't explain. So here we see the plane land after it's done this dogfight. And then they open it up, and I guess he's dead in there, right? Yeah, it looks like it. So he was dead, but he was still dogfighting and killing all these guys, I guess. We cut back to Hellboy. He's still being possessed by the plane, and he crashes it. So it's like we see one of the wings come off, and it's interspersed with the flashback. In the flashback, we see his lover... And she's all in despair, you know, I guess because he was dead in the plane. On this next page, we see Hellboy come up from the rubble. You know, he crashed the plane. And so we see the right hand of doom and he's getting out. And we also see that blue spirit, that pilot. It's also getting out of the wreckage as well. It's going towards this headstone or some sort of um, memorial thing. But I just say, I like that we got a G's in the middle of all this. (laughs) Yeah. 
as he's crashing the plane. Yeah. It's one of Hellboy's signature phrases. It's normally with a J, and this one is with a G. Is it really? Yeah. I never know. I thought, I, thought was, I thought it was always with a G. I know in that Hellboy in Hell, it was with a J. Oh, okay. But while the ghost is going off, Hellboy still has to fight these green dragon spirits. He's like, come on, you guys, give us a break. <laughs> and so on the next page, but I, I really like this effect because the focus is on the blue ghost. And the blue ghost is reuniting with his lover. I guess that's her gravestone. And Hellboy yeah. fighting those green dragon things is like all the way in the back. I really like that panel where it's like, that's not the focus of it. The focus of it is on this guy being able to come to rest. Yeah, it's a nice panel. Hellboy continues fighting those green monster dragons. And as the two lovers embrace, then the dragons dissipate. Ah, love, Hellboy says. End. Yeah, and so I thought that was interesting. It kind of reminded me of Jason Latour's art in Pickens County Horror, but very more abstract, I guess. That was an interesting one. It's mostly just art that you're looking at. It doesn't have a lot of dialogue. And like Danielle said, you kind of get a feeling. It's kind of just interpreted. Um, Really interesting story. So with all that being said... Canon or not... I don't know, like, I feel like a lot of this is, does it matter if it's Right, yeah, it, does, so, it like, really does. So, like, that's the whole point. I guess that's why it's not canon, because it's, like, does it have any effect yeah. on the yeah. story that they're trying to tell? Just like the last one, I think this one could be. It, I mean, it really, I don't really think that it interferes with anything. But who cares? It's harmless, you know, it's a harmless story, you know. Oh, that time that Hellboy crashed a plane, flying it back to... It's just the kind of like, wouldn't it be fun if we explored this idea? But it has no consequence because it's not actually in the actual canon of the thing. So it's fine. Let it not be, you know, just you can let some things not be canon. You can let it just be like a fun, weird outside. Also, I think part of like, is it canon or not? Depends on how much I care about it. Okay. <laughs> is that stupid? I mean, is does that, that you know? Sense. I think that that's a valid argument. Part what of you- it is just like, do I care? Does, like, why does this matter? I think that's an yeah. important question. I could go either way, to be honest. I mean, it's it was fun. The art was beautiful. The story was neat. But if, it, if it's canon, cool. If it's not, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know. I mean, it was fun, and I could see how you could, uh, you know, like like in the intro, you were saying like the movie was coming out, and they were like, "Oh, we're not going to have anything coming out." Yeah, let's have so, something out. Yeah, I feel like this is a nice little flavor of Hellboy to whet somebody's appetite. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. I love that. You know, I mean, it's like, hey, you know, if you can, if you like stuff like this, this is a Hellboy pamphlet. But you know, if you go deeper into the lore, you get so much. I also, yeah. yeah, I don't necessarily think this is the easiest, it's not the easiest thing to part. I'm not saying like it should be easy to right. re- read yeah. any help. But you, wanted but to make I, it to you, you wanted to make it user-friendly. It's not necessarily yeah. as accessible as a lot of the main Hellboy stuff is. Like, yeah. There's a lot of just like if you picked up a Mignola story. Right, right. And yeah. you went straight to the source, like I think that would be a little more like, hook it to my veins kind of a thing where this is more just like, what am I reading? What is happening? Yeah, yeah. it takes a little bit. It takes a little bit. So, and that's fine. Yeah. I'm not saying that's bad. Obviously, I, you know, this is its own thing almost. Sure. This yeah. is almost like, why is this a Hellboy story? Why didn't you just make your own comic? <laughs> well, because Mike, Mike asked him to. Sure, sure. No, and I, I get that. I just <laughs> but, mean like, uh, is this like, why is this a Hellboy comic was kind of a question I kept asking myself while I was reading it. Okay. So, like, 
Like, you've yeah, read like, you've read so much at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. You've got you 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 know what the flavor sure. is. You know how it how it goes, and then you're and then yeah, I could see that. We're gonna say, not to say that this is bad. I'm not like, trying to. This is not a criticism at all, and I know that it sounds that way. I'm not trying to be shitty or anything like that. It's just different. No, sure. no, it's just your. No, no, it's fine. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, I could, I could see this as like a, a marketing tool, you know, because like the movie is about to come out, or has come out. You've seen it, or you're about to see it, or you're interested in seeing it, and you're in your local comic book store. You've never read Hellboy. You're picking up. You're looking through the new releases, and you see it on the new release wall. And you're like, oh, I'll pick this up. That's kind of how I see it, you know. And I didn't have that context for it while I was reading it, so I was just kind of confused. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. I was like, all right. And for our last story, we're going to read Hot. This was published in Hellboy Weird Tales, issue two, written by Randy Stradley, illustrated by Seung Kim, lettered by Michelle Madsen, edited by Scott Alley. Randy Stradley, the writer, is an American writer and editor working in the comic book industry, as of 2016, he's the vice president of publishing for Dark Horse Comics. He writes under the pseudonyms Mick Harrison and Wells Hartley. And he's done a lot of Star Wars stuff. I was looking at, at all his different writing works, and a lot of it was Star Wars novels and Star Wars comics for Dark Horse. Seung Kim is a Korean-born American artist, director, and animator. He is a three-time Emmy nominee and three-time Annie Award nominee for Best Animated Television Production for the 2003 The Batman TV series. Did you ever watch that, Aubrey? The Batman? Oh, I love that. Okay, so nobody likes that one, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I like the cartoon. It's different than Batman the Animated Series. It's not as good as Batman the Animated Series. Okay. But it, it was fun. Yeah. Saturday morning CW. So what's interesting about this story, too, is it's all in black and white. Well, so it's there all are pencils. No... Yeah, it's really interesting. It's just sketches. has not even been inked. I, I love the the look of this. I love, but I love pencil art. I mean, right. I, I just love seeing pencils and I love the gray tones. It's just an interesting choice because it's almost yeah. never, ever, ever do we get a published right. work True. like this. Like, that's almost never published like this. We open in Shuzenji, Japan. This is a real town. Hellboy and another agent, Hennessy, meet with some locals. And Hennessy is all ready for tea time, but Hellboy says they have to get up to Fukushima and deal with the Tengu infestation. And so uh, Fukushima is also a real place, as most people probably know. And yeah. that's a six-hour drive from Shuzenji. I don't so, think yes, that had I'm... happened when this No, it hadn't. Out. But, I mean, I mean, this is supposed to be 1967. And he mentions the Tengu infestation. Tengu are a type of legendary creature found in Japanese folk religion. They're considered a type of supernatural being or gods. Although they take on the name from a dog-like Chinese demon, the Tengu were originally thought to take the forms of birds of prey. They are traditionally depicted with both human and avian characteristics. And the mayor here, he tells Hellboy that people are being eaten in their hot springs. He says... At first, we thought it was a wild animal, but our hunters were unable to find any tracks or spore. The police can find no trace of the killer, and always the attacks take place in the baths. Many tourists used to visit our village to bathe in the restorative waters of our hot springs, but since the attacks began, the tourists stay away. If this persists, Shuzenji will be ruined. So this interpretation of Hellboy's feet as having two 
like claw-like talons. Oh, yeah, yeah. As opposed to it being a cloven hoof. I'm not down with this. Oh, okay. I'm not down with this. It's a cloven hoof. It's like a goat foot. You don't like the design that it's got the little claw feet, claw toes. I just don't. Like, if we're talking about cannon or not, that is not a cannon foot design. Okay. But, however, I will say this. It is cool and interesting, and I do like that just as an illustration. If someone just showed me that, I'd say, like, that's super cool. I really like that. It's a great design. It's just not Hellboy's foot. Sure. I like this depiction on the previous page where he's walking with a lantern and, like, the pants and everything. It's just very well. I really like that depiction right there. Yeah, it's really cool. He got the right hand of doom really well. It's yeah. nice and chunky and yeah. it feels heavy. Yeah, and a lot of this is just the art. It's very atmospheric as Hellboy goes to the hot springs. But I do appreciate that he had his own take on it. I'm not trying to be yeah. negative or anything like sure. that. But that's cool. It's an alternate whatever your take on it and stuff. Well, you're a fan of the little cloven feet. Just because I'm a feet. fan of yeah, the yeah. little cloven feet doesn't mean that it's like that doesn't mean that this isn't a cool <laughs> illustration. Obviously I do appreciate it for what it is. So Shuzenji Onsen is the oldest and most famous hot spring resort towns on the Zoo Peninsula. So this is a very famous hot spring. So you've got that historical fiction going on, which we know is prevalent in a lot of the Hellboy stories. So as Hellboy, he's relaxing in the hot spring. He's having a good time. And then this naked, sexy lady shows up. A naked lady. And he's like, oh, I thought I was alone. And she's like, oh, do you want to be alone? And he's like, oh, it's not safe. People have been hurt here. And she's like, I come here all the time. Don't you love this pool? And he's like, oh, it's really nice, but you shouldn't be here. And she's all like getting up on him. And he's he's not exactly comfortable with this. He's like, hey, I don't know you. This has gone on right, far yeah. enough. Come on. Like, what are you doing? The design of Hellboy himself, I mean, it just... Looks like Ron Furman to me, this whole story. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess they were making the movie already. So, yeah. And like I said, I like the the gigantic, chunky hand. Like, that is how the the right hand should look, for sure. But Hellboy... He's got his trunks on. Yeah, he pushes the lady off. And she's like, because she's all naked time. Well, I guess, uh, well, so cult- she's like, oh, you're still wearing your clothes? I guess culturally speaking, oh, like, right, he wouldn't yeah. necessarily have clothes on in the... And he's like, oh, forget what I'm wearing. I'm here on business. You need to get out of here. And she says, you're just like your father. And he's like, what? My father? That's just getting weirder by the second. She says, don't make me leave. Don't you like me? And so she approaches him again. And she says, I could do things for you, make you feel things. And she taps his horn stub. And then his horn starts (laughs) growing all crazy. It's it's growing crazy. Very aggressively, it's gigantic all of a sudden. And so, what'd you do to me? Get out of here. And so he knows that at this point that she is a demon or something. Right. So then he yeah. has no problem hitting. It's a, it's a little bit of an exaggerated hit, but it is with the right hand very clearly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we don't get a boom, but he does, <laughs> you know, he does hit. It. So it's, she's, she's doing something on a mythological scale to right, him. Yeah. And so he doesn't yeah. really feel any qualms with hitting her, which I don't blame him. I mean, she's clearly a fucking demon. She says, I gave you something, but all of the gifts I give are rejected, taken for granted or exploited. I freely gave the villagers the rejuvenating power of my water and they sold that gift to strangers. 
when I took back some of what was mine, they summoned you. And she's got like some evil, I like that evil panel yeah, face. Yeah, she's lit from underneath. Yeah. yeah. She's got the scary evil tongue. He says, hey, I'm trying to find out who's eating the Taurus. And he I turns. Like he's trying to put his pants back on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even notice that. That's he's great. putting his pants back on. That's great. Well, they're both telling the same story. They're just telling it differently. Yeah. Right. He's telling the same story, but he's telling it like, eh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out right, who's eating yeah. all these tourists. But her problem is the tourists. Yes. Puppy. <laughs> Sweet baby. So then he turns around and she's this gigantic monster Godzilla creature. It's like a swamp thing. Yeah, and yeah. there's this uh, post behind him. I guess it's to hang clothes on. But then he pulls it out of the ground, and it's like a giant sword. So that's a nice touch, too. And so all of a sudden, you have this Hellboy with his one giant horn fighting this giant monster with a giant sword. It's really cool. Yeah, it's It good. lends itself for some really incredible artwork. And we get a big full moon shot here. Yeah, it's really nice. The amount of work on this. I just looked at all of this for a while. Um, it's just really impressive as a artistic spectacle. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It reminds me like of heavy metal or something Absolutely. like that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, definitely. Big fan of that for sure. Yeah, I love the shot with the moon. I mean, I love that. But yeah. yeah. So the monster throws Hellboy aside and says, the villagers can have their bath, but they can no longer have me. And as it kind of like melts down, it's kind of the monster and the woman at the same time. Right. That's kind of a neat effect. All the villagers come up and they're like, Hellboy, we heard rumbling. What happened? The village has their hot spring back, he says, though I doubt it will ever be the same. What about you? Because they see him, they have this giant horn. He goes, ditto. Nothing a good saw won't fix. Yeah. And that's it. And so... I but- did get a very heavy metal... Yeah, from this, and it's got like sexy ladies, and then a giant monster. Sure, you know what I mean, and a devil man, and it's kind of like it's got all those elements of like you know somebody who maybe didn't know about Hellboy would create something like this. You know what I mean? I did want to talk about this 2001 Kotobukiya soft vinyl Hellboy statue. So there's this statue of Hellboy. It's based on an illustration by Katsuya Terada. And it's Hellboy, and he's like punching down, and he's got one giant horn. And it's a very kind nice. of, it's a very manga kind of anime style Hellboy, you know. And that's what this reminds me of. It almost made me think like, Dim Seung Kim get the idea of this at, from that sketch or from that statue because it's very similar. I'll post a picture of it, but this statue is really um, similar to the way that they draw him here with that one long giant horn. So I thought that was interesting. Kotobukui? Is that how you're supposed to say it? Kotobukui? That's how I say if it's the If it's the one I'm thinking, because I have a couple of statues by Well, Kotobukui. there you go. It's pronunciation <laughs> corner. Thank you for that, Aubrey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I could be saying it wrong. Yeah, so. there you go, right? <laughs> we both could be saying it wrong and not even know. At the end of this story, are we going to say it's... Canon or not? Again, I kind of feel. Oh, sorry. Again, I kind of feel like it doesn't really matter. But like, there was a point where he was in Japan doing stuff, so it could be just like one of those side stories while he was over there. It could easily be. What do you think, Aubrey? Because he looks like Ron Perlman, I'm gonna slot it into the movie canon. (laughs) Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, slot it into the movie canon. There you go. I mean, we don't know what it, we don't know what that that particular Hellboy was getting up to, and 
67? Yeah, I don't really know. I'm trying to think what the comic Hellboy was doing in 67. So I have to look that up. Maybe one of the listeners can chime in. I don't know if that exactly fits in. but Pretty sure uh, Jerry Mark and uh, Matt might can tell us. Right. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure I could just look at the companion and see if there's anything in there. Yeah, that was interesting. So yeah, we've gone through so much of the universe. How did you feel reading some of these kind of like off stories or stories by people that are not really, you know, completely different teams, what we know of? Honestly, I feel like after all of that heavy stuff that we went through with the BPRD and Abe and Hellboy Hell and all that kind of stuff, it was fun. Like, I don't know how often I would ever revisit this, but... It was enjoyable for the time, for when I was reading it. Yeah. And the whole thing about canon or non-canon, I mean, to per, for my, myself personally, I don't really care about the whole argument. If it is, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I mean, because they're all fictional right, stories right. anyway. So it's all like what you want it to be. I mean, I know some people get really bent out of shape about stuff like that for yeah. some reason. You'll never, ca- you'll never catch any of us doing <laughs> but, that. But... Uh, for the most part, I mean, you just like what you like. Yeah, <laughs> who has the energy for that shit? You know, I mean, there's way more important things to worry about than whether or not that this particular thing actually happened because it, right. it, it's all fiction. Yeah, <laughs> it's really more about what you're getting out of it because that's what they're presenting. What impact has it sure, okay. had on your life? That's yeah. really well, more the question to me. When Disney bought Star Wars, they dropped all the the expanded universe stuff out of official canon and then they pushed it off in the legend series and people are like oh my god but like i remember reading a bunch of that stuff and you know what i still enjoyed it i don't give a shit if it's canon or that's not that's what i'm I saying is like yeah. i got what well, i got what i got out of it because i read it through the 90s yeah and it was just fun i could give a shit exactly exactly <laughs> and that's why we talk about head canon here because really all that matters is like your reaction to it your whatever it is, it is you got out of it yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree because it's like I remember people saying like, "Oh, I've wasted all that time on stuff that wasn't canon." I'm like, "No, did you enjoy yourself?" Right. I mean, you were reading a book. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Nobody point. forced you to it. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. Like, did you enjoy reading that story? Did you get something out of it? Because that's not wasted time at all. Right. Yeah, I love that. And I hadn't read these in a while. It's been a while since I've revisited these. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed going through these and doing the notes for them. And it was just interesting to get like a different take on all these um, from all these different creators and writers and artists. It gives other people a chance to engage with this material. In a different style, too. So, yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes Hellboy needs to fight a sexy lady who's really a monster. And we see her butt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i guess like the main reason like i guess all of this really technically non-canon is mike mignola didn't write any of the hellboy stuff and he writes yeah. all of the hellboy stuff right all right and so we're gonna have some more weird tales whoa they're so weird, weird. they're weird weird tales weird tales <laughs> awesome <laughs> Awesome. Oh, man. All right. So I hope you guys had fun with this episode. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on these wacky adventures from the weird tales. You can send us at hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find our different resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean webpage. Special thank you to the uh, Side Street Steppers for the music uh, for this. I mean, it's so good. It's Adorable. lovely. I love it. Also, thanks to Mark Tweedell for slotting us in this weird tale to read this time. It was fun. <laughs> thanks, John, for always doing everything to make us sound good and keeping us going. Yeah. Even when we're starting to talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Most of that is getting cut out. Oh, I know, but it's just fun. <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we're reading more Hellboy Weird Tales. And we're reading Light Risk, Family Story, Shattered. Love is scarier than death. To man, performance, big top Hellboy. <laughs> and Theater of the Dead. So you know what to do. Pull out them back issues. Pull out them trays. Get the omnibus. Get the digital. Get the digital omnibus. And join us next week on the Hellboy And good job, podcast. Aubrey. You quit smoking yeah, one year. Good job, Aubrey. <laughs> if we you're love listening, you. you can quit it too. We believe in you. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Daniel. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, why, hello there, fellow army guys. Nice night for doing army stuff and scaring things, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Wait, too much for that one. <laughs>